Hey, this is Higher Peaks. This podcast is supported by our listeners on Patreon. There you can become a patron with options of bonus content, including behind-the-scenes posts, messages, pics, shorts, raw, unedited content, and even full episodes. You can influence future shows, have voting power, get exclusive rewards, and have patron-only giveaways. See full details on our page at patreon.com slash organrooted. Enjoy the show. You know, as humans, we're just kind of, we're really greedy. And a lot of people don't don't even consider what they're taking from the earth every time they lay down a piece of concrete. Or to me, that that that's a really big focus. And that's what I left school thinking is like, I really want to just make a positive impact on the environment. No matter what it is that I end up getting into, I know I want to make the world a better place. Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. Welcome to The Dirt Show. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Steva. I'm really excited about this episode. I've been waiting for this for like, how long has it been since we, since the COVID hit? Oh, good God. I don't know anymore. It was right before. It was in March. It was right before it hit that we actually sat down and did this interview. This is one of my last uh, studio interviews before. That's right. Before this all went down. So. Uh, but it got put in rotation. This is how it ended up. And man, I'm excited. This is Indigo Gardens. This Hell is yeah. it. So with Peyton and Tyler. And before we get into that, we'll we'll get into our usual here. You know, before I started the show, I just literally got done transplanting the wedding cake into the wedding cake cross anyway, mm-hmm. into the one gallons, which man, I, I don't know. It's I'm really disappointed because you know our two Skittles. I have to say this right now um one of our skittles appears to have taken an overnight hit i don't know what's wrong with it i it's very suspicious it looks really suspicious of it started to look like overwatering, to be honest and then it turned into overnight looking like rust and dun, now dun, dun. it's growing out of it is what it looks like almost but uh, the same time that one leaf started to look like the tips of it are turning a little rusty I know I'm at a loss and it all occurred the night that I moved it from out front to out back. Yeah. Which is where we've had these issues. And it's like, I don't know what is it blowing around at a freaking breeze back there. I don't get it, but it really hurts my feelings. It sucks because it was one of the Skittles. The other one seems to be okay. And Mm -hmm. it seems to be completely fine. And again, these symptoms happened right overnight. That's one reason I'm suspicious, but it also has a weird brown rust color. And I'm not really sure if I've ever seen overwatering that caused that kind of rusting color. Mm-mm. And they don't but seem it, like they're overwatered. Oh, they were a little bit wet. They were a little bit wet. Um, so I, that's what I suspected at first. Anyway, I don't know what to do. I'm treating them with the Amblio 
liquefan li amblio. I'm going to leave it at amblio. I, I treat them with amblio. Yeah, don't the, try the next word. The B amblio. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, is here's the deal. When they first came in, they had mites. And so I wanted to treat them for that first. And then when I treated them for that, uh, it, it kind of, they were new clones. And so I... <laughs> You overdid it a little bit. Maybe. And it was also the first time I was using biocontrol. So this is all new, right? Yeah. <clears throat> well, it kind of hit them a little bit hard. Not too bad at all. And so I was like, I'm just going to let them go for, you know, a week and settle down before I hit them with the uh, Biamblio for all the fungus stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then boom, I set them out back one night and it hits. I'm like, of course, right before I'm going to do all this. So then, as you know, I treated them all. Yeah. And it's it's okay for the for the seeds back there. I'm okay for them to go through this a little bit because one, we got enough, mm -hmm. and two, I'd like to see which ones of the phenos out there are gonna be susceptible to this stuff quickly. Right. Yes, I mean I'm sure everything is at this point, maybe, but I want to see which ones can really resist it anyway. So I'm yeah. cool with that. It was just unfortunate that it had to be the skittles. But to hit the skittles, I mean, come on, the the cannabis gods need to get a little easier on me this year. Not take out our one. Yeah, it's not like these cuts come around very often. Anyway, one is still doing good. So, and I do believe I beat the mites back. So now I just, hopefully we can either nurse this one or with that first one, I'm obviously going to take, I'm doing clones. I'll get a damn cloner and, and set it out if I have to. <laughs> just for that, just for that Skittles. Right. And then we'll clone the shit out of it. <laughs> but, it's heartbreaking. Uh, but uh, getting back to the white cookies, white cookies, Man, getting back to the wedding cake cross. <laughs> I don't even know what white cookies came from. I was transplanting them today at, before this, and uh, I had noticed that a couple looked a little iffy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, screw it. I'm tossing them. I ain't playing around. I'm If they look a little iffy, for now anyway, they're going. And, and uh, also, too, you know, I don't want, again, I'm going to call out everything that looks like even it's not, it's not going to be worth it. Right. I'm getting down to the ones that'll... Obviously, not only handles Southern Oregon, but my goddamn growing area too. Right. So, so uh, that and and I'm treating them too. So I'm put I put the uh, the Amblio on rotation with them, as you know. Mm -hmm. So we're on full IPM mode. Maybe I should have started a week sooner. I always say that with my IPM. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, you do every an, year. Another another mistake to never make is. Starting a week late every year on your IPM. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wait one more week. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this funk stuff has got me messed up. You brought four new flavors home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sour lemon, which is really good. Sour as fuck. Would you not agree that it, it made my like lips pucker? Little candies that yeah. had the sugar on the outside. It does. And it made my lips pucker. I loved it. Sour it's lemon delicious. drop. I'm surprised, too, because you generally don't like the sour stuff. No, yeah. Um, I do. It just needs to be a special type of lemon is mostly what it is. Um, lemon's not my top favorite strain to smoke because they usually all taste. Well, and you never liked sour diesel either. I don't like sour yeah. diesel. Which is another sour one. So. Unless it's a straight sour diesel and it has to be the right sour diesel. <laughs> I can't have Sour headband. diesel number two. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, we did. We tried when you got home. You brought four home. That was nice. Didn't mm -hmm. do got I got all of four. them except for the CBD one, which I still want to try. Okay, but I just grabbed these ones because that will be one that we don't smoke all the time. It'll just be one for for anxious. 
Right. Sun, It'll sure. be a set aside one. Nighttime. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we did try when you got home. We tried the papaya punch and the yeah the sour lemon. Mm-hmm. Both were really good. Um, papaya was mild, sour was sour. <laughs> but we still need to try the sunset. What's it called? Sunset, sunset trees tree. and Kim Kim Dog Four. Right? Yeah, which both smell good. So man, shout out to Optimo. He was just on last episode, mm-hmm. and he didn't. He had the Mac One. He brought me left me that, which we also got jar. that. We got the Mac One Gems and Juice and the Mac One Batter. Nice. And all that stuff is so good. This round two, shout out to KOD2 for help making all this or leading the way. Hell yeah. Blazing the trails. But this is going to be nice. I'm really glad you brought all those four. (laughs) Thanks, Optimo. Hell yeah. Did you know as of Sunday, New York City's ban on pre-employment marijuana testing for many workers is now in effect? Is it? Yeah. (laughs) There are exceptions, however, and regulators say they won't punish some companies that test for THC, even while those rules are still being finalized. I still think that's fucking cool. Mm-hmm. New York of all places, but definitely no pre-employment. I mean, God, you're not doing alcohol. Yeah, exactly. And we need to adopt that here. I am surprised the way we've led things, Colorado, Oregon, the West Coast, basically, that we haven't adopted all that already. I thought we already had. They can still deny you. They just didn't. It's not a, yeah. a law, basically. Right, yeah. They, uh, <laughs> yeah. They're not supposed to be able to not hire you for that, but. <laughs> Separate organ campaigns to legalize the psilocybin mushroom therapy and decriminalize possession of all drugs are now teaming up and asking their own supporters to sign the other's petition to qualify for the November ballot. In other words, <laughs> I'll give you some of mine if you give me some of yours. I'll show you mine and you show me yours. And then we both sign. And then we both sign. The Los Angeles, California City Council will consider a resolution on Tuesday to endorse a state bill to allow cannabis labs to test samples of marijuana seized during closures of unlicensed retailers. I, I wonder what they're going to test for. Are they testing COVID? <laughs> I'm curious if they're if they're seeing what people use to grow down in California. Maybe there's pesticides. Or other maybe drugs, they're trying to find where it's from. Other drugs, where it's from. They're gonna test the genetic. They're background. like this is this weed's too clean. This must be from Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> there's no Eagle Twenty in this weed anywhere. <laughs> Pennsylvania's having a crazy week. The Pennsylvania Medical Marijuana Advisory Board canceled a Tuesday meeting. Wow. Yeah. Big week. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I can't believe they thought that was news. A review concluded that adding a specific CBD oil along in said treatment may reduce owner-assessed pain in dogs with osteoarthritis, but that no changes were detected in vet-assessed pain. What do they call that when it's a placebo effect on the owner instead of the dog (laughs) or the pet? It's basically the owner saying, oh, I fed my dog CBD and some some Tylenol or some. And they're better. And some ibuprofen. And I feel better that they're better. He feels better. (laughs) But the vet's like, nah, nah. (laughs) I think that happens a lot, though. How do you know? I mean, you can, you probably have, you know, your dog better than anybody yes, else. I do but know. How do you know? I do know that CBD helps Bella calm the fuck down. <laughs> well, I do know. I think that you ask anybody. Jackson be- is not feeling well and we put some CBD into his food. 
that he seems like he gets up and moves around. Like maybe the swelling goes down. A little down. bit better. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's just you. Uh, he doesn't <laughs> fucking get up before it kicks in. So you tell me. <laughs> A study of the impact of legalization in Uruguay on adolescents found. That's Uruguay. They found no evidence of an impact on cannabis use or the perceived risk of use, but did find an increase in student perception of cannabis availability. Fuck yeah. They're like, there it is. <laughs> yep. Right there. Right there. <laughs> it's right here. Here it is. It's it's funny though. People think that's bad. And honestly, when it's we've talked so many times about just not having it be so hidden and they don't give a shit. In fact, mm-hmm. it's not even cool anymore. Yeah. It's not. So uh, Nick Offerman, Rosie Perez, Carrie Fisher, Anthony Bourdain, Ben Stiller, Sarah Silverman, and other celebrities appear in a new Netflix film about psychedelics, which is called Have a Good Trip Adventures in Psychedelics. Nice. We have did not, that already come out? Yes, it's new. It just came out. It's uh, the one of the top 10 um, new releases for Netflix, and uh, we have not got a chance to watch it yet but we are going to probably be watching it tonight and then we will report back to you if y'all are else are out there doing it let us know through email oregonrooted at gmail.com also there's another one that we have just checked out everybody's talking about it but it's that other psychedelic one the midnight gospel the midnight gospel yeah just find it we haven't, I haven't got past episode one because I haven't had time, but everybody's talking about that one too as well. What I like about it is it teaches you shit or gives you, it's like a conversation, but there's a whole sto- like a whole thing being acted out <laughs> separate from what they're talking about. Like in that first episode, they're talking about cannabis and opioids and cannabis is a medicine and yeah. opioids is, is killing, you know, deaths yeah. and such overdose and all the while they're killing zombies. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. Let's get into it. Payton and Tyler Indigo Gardens. These guys are cool as hell. Now, we've hung out with I've hung out with Tyler a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, He comes into the Talent Health Club. Mm -hmm. Uh, He does drops, I guess, or or does work. Yeah. He mostly comes in to say hi. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't specifically do the drops for Indigo. He he comes in to say hi and buy stuff from us. (laughs) Does he ever buy his own flower? (laughs) It usually sells out so fast. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. I want Skittles. Tyler, <laughs> Tyler, when you're listening to this, I want Skittles. She wants Skittles, man. Do they have cuts? Do they have? Oh, we'll have to talk to Tyler about that. I don't know. Anyway, Tyler. We could only hope. <laughs> now, I haven't had, I didn't have a chance before this to hang out with Peyton. Um, Did you? Did you know Peyton? I'd have to see his face to know if I have met him before. I probably have met him at least, but yeah, I don't think we've yeah. hung out. No. Very neat, cool guy. He's, you know, he's got a, family going and he's he's got his uh you know the indigo gardens and he's just a young guy with his head on straight and smart as fuck so it was really cool sitting down with them both of them really we talk about a lot like uh you know economics of cannabis not just like business side of it, but the actual economics of it we talk about bud tenders nice yeah i hope y'all don't get mad at me after you <laughs> <laughs> no we're very nice uh we just talk about how hard it is being a bud tender actually Uh, We talk about other things, too. We talk about the farm, how they do things. They got some new tech. We talk about what they're doing. It's I guess OLCC considers it uh, sun assisted Mm -hmm. indoor. Is that how they put it? 
They, yeah. they they explain more definitely inside the interview, but it's it's something basically if you're if you're using the sun and you have a fully controlled environment, regardless if it's a greenhouse, it's still considered indoor. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you better listen to the interview to have that a little uh, <laughs> a little clearer. We also get to know both those guys, mm-hmm. and they're really cool. They've had a lot of experiences with cannabis and that culture, especially for as young as they are, and they also have had some decent experience with psychedelics. This is kind of kicking off our season with the whole grow, farm, tour, and it's really nice to see the COVID slowing down. I want to go see their farm. Yes, So, and I believe, actually, that's probably the first farm we'll go see yes. and do some promos, sit and do some you know, some field work with them. And My photography at work. Can't wait. Organ love. Organ love. Stay rooted. All right. I'm sitting here with Indigo Gardens, a four-year-old producer of top shelf flower and premium fresh frozen input material with a goal to be stewards of the land by building organic matter with locally sourced inputs and whole organic amendments. Thanks guys for being here. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? My name's Peyton Little and, uh, yeah, I've been with Indigo Gardens for a couple of years now. I'm Tyler Compton. I've also been with Indigo for a couple of years. We both started right around the same time. Can you guys tell me kind of where Indigo started? I mean, where did the dream start? The original like flag put in the ground and the the dream came from uh, our founder. His name is Brandon Bach. Um, and basically he came out the year before it went wreck in Oregon and built a sun-assisted greenhouse or light assisted greenhouse, sun assisted indoor, did the living living soil beds and kind of like proved the model that that's what, you know, he thought he's, he's a real cannabis connoisseur too. I mean, the guy smokes like 10 of the best rolled joints a day. Like he's very serious about his cannabis. And to him, he proved the model that that's how the best cannabis in the world will be grown is um, in that style of environment in this, you know, in a microclimate in the Applegate Valley or the Illinois or somewhere in Southern Oregon, Northern California. And where did he come from originally? He's originally from Boston. Okay, Boston. But yeah, he's been he's been doing uh, you know, he's been all around doing the NorCal to Boston stuff for a long time, you know. So he's part of that culture. I'm really glad to have you guys in because there's several things we need to talk about. I think one way we can uh, kind of get into how you guys relate to all this is you guys have been lately working with uh, John, right, Oregon Archist. With his genetics? Yeah, JB. Yeah. JB, as he's known. I He's got like several AKAs. So. Yeah, yeah, he's got a few aliases. Really awesome dude, though. Uh, I actually met him initially looking for some sourdough starter on Craigslist. Okay. <laughs> so I hit wow. this guy up and he, you know, I found him on Craigslist. He's like, I got some sourdough culture free for anybody who wants to come grab it, you know. And I showed up at his house and he was just an awesome dude. And he was living with a uh, cool glass artist who I'm friends with as well, Amani at the time. And oh, I was yeah. like, holy cow, this is hilarious to be here right now. You know, like you guys are really cool. We sat down and smoked a joint and uh, became friends. And then he put out that ripcord. Yeah. And uh, I saw it and I knew I knew I liked his taste in cannabis. Um, I think I think JB has got a really good really good palette and he likes a lot of similar stuff to me he likes like really funky raunchy gassy stuff that's just gonna get you like hammed you know Uh and so when he was that excited about it i could just tell that it was gonna be really good and then i saw the pictures and i could honestly i could see from the shape of the leaves 
It's got those those really gassy strains kind of get, you know, a specific shape to the leaves, like the OG Kushes where they're kind of like short, wide, and um, I could just see the look of it basically. And I was like, I got to know what that's about, man, and went and tried it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was fire. I tried a sample that his buddy grew from out in... Uh, I don't know, like Michigan or something like that. It was kind of random. He didn't have any of his own at the time, but I could tell it was going to be really nice. And I knew it would be really good for both of us for, you know, if, if we were growing something that he put out since he's a new breeder that's not as well known yet. And it could also give us something really cool that nobody else has, which is actually a lot harder to do than you would think on the Oregon market with stuff that's really good because people are just, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in California and Colorado too, but people are quick to get the new strains oh, and yeah. start putting them out. And you'll think you're like the first one at this new pack and you're like, we're going to hit this. And all of a sudden you look on the shelf, like you're still vegging them. And all of a sudden it's like already for sale somewhere. And you're like, how the hell did that happened? You know, it can be trendy as hell, man. Like, I mean, trends fall and die is you, you never know what's going to be in and what's not going to be in the next year. Have you found that working with that strain, I'm, you're having success with it now, right? You're like on the verge of... Yeah, basically we ran, I believe, two tester plants last round in the greenhouse. And now we've got... And they were looking good? Oh, yeah. Look fantastic. Smell now they look like something you'd find in the Redwood Forest, man. Like the whole, like the mean... He's mentioned it before, like that mean leaf look it's got. Yeah, yeah. That same... That's kind of what I was talking about. That yeah. kind of funny, like those OG Kush gets those kind of like those leaves that are kind of like short and like wide but they just get those kind of extra jagged edges yeah. and you can just i can see what you're saying with that yeah now but, are you guys going to bring that to the shelf at some point yeah i think we have <clears throat> i think we have like a, enough in the greenhouse right now to do a small batch that we'll test and probably sell to like one or two dispensaries down here this round and then our next round we have a whole bed of it lined up we plan on doing so well, the reason I brought this up because our listeners already know JB real well. And so they've already heard his couple of actually three stories now. Uh, and so we've kind of followed him from that first, maybe a couple of years ago with Ripcord when it was first just getting started. So that's really exciting. And it was really exciting to meet you guys because when we were talking about the Ripcord, you guys have this different perspective on, on this, you know, producing. I mean, you guys are looking at, at doing, uh, premium flower, but you're using technology now. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what we're doing is, you know, we like to call it sun assisted indoor because it's it's completely environmentally controlled by the OLCC standard. You know, we need to test it as indoor because we have, you know, 97,000 watt HPSs over it and it's completely environmentally controlled. So we test it as indoor flower and how we look at it is we're, we're supplementing um, we're supplementing with extra sunlight as much as we can, but still using those HPSs to their max potential. So as an indoor environment would, you know, they're hammering those HPSs and then we're also able to get the full spectrum of sunlight in our greenhouse too. So we think that through that, doing some type of, you know, diverse biologic, raised beds, no-till, whatever you want to call it now. There's so many names for it, but um, a deep root organic method in a system like that that will, you know, that'll produce the most sustainable high-quality cannabis that's uh, that's scalable when it comes to that point. And now you guys are, you were, you were telling me earlier when we were talking before the interview that uh, you guys are trying to stay away from, you know, kind of that uh, greenhouse feel because... 
It's not really. Yeah. A lot of people, when they think of a greenhouse, you know, I think, think of, um, my backyard. Yeah. Like some hoop houses, (laughs) you know, out in the field. Who cares if I have a hoop house? Yeah, exactly. So when you say that name, the, you know, that the image from that vocabulary that runs through somebody's head, isn't really identifying what kind of, uh, infrastructure we have um you know like we like to say it's like you know the ferrari of greenhouses you know we've got like 16 foot sidewalls you know um you know an environmental control unit we can control from our phones in zimbabwe if we wanted to um our our environmental controls can interact with what's going on outside too we can set set points based off the amount of moles being measured of the amount of light hitting our greenhouse turning on and off our HPSs or, you know, doing other functions in there as well. So does that cut back labor or does it just make it more accurate? I mean, we can track a lot of data, which is awesome. And then, yeah, of course, because, you know, if you think of a, you know, a standard greenhouse, people are pulling tarps or switching levers and all sorts of stuff. And everything is just set to how we want it based off the external conditions and the time of the year. And we just let it function. I mean, that comes with, you know, more technical issues than you'd be dealing with <laughs> on a more simple system, you know, with yeah. like a lot of low voltage wiring and troubleshooting. And sometimes a little issue can create a catastrophic issue, <laughs> Sure, you know, but uh, everything's got a learning curve. So how long have you been incorporating this stuff that you're doing as I far mean, as the, the new technology? And the new tech, I mean, when it comes to new tech, what we did this year is we installed in a GOM. It's an Israeli um, dehumidifier. And also it's an Israeli environmental control unit is the best way to put it. That um, is dehumidifying through a liquid desiccant system. Um, Also, they say it's like latent heat technology. So it's bringing in that moist air into the machine. Sure. And then it's it's, uh, separating it through a lithium brine into and that's the liquid yeah the the liquid in the machine okay and it's separating that moisture out of the air yeah through a heat through heating it Hmm. um and the brine and you know all their patented stuff but that's you know the gist of it and then it's blowing that hot air back into the environment and the one of the big reasons we went with this is because nothing can live inside the machine so like most common dehumidification machines like can harbor mold and you know back different bad bacterias and pathogens and all sorts of stuff and you know a lot of times in my experience they don't get cleaned as often as they should so nothing can live in this machine and the machine is rated to pass all the air in our greenhouse six times an hour in every hour every pass through that machine picks up you know a specific percentage of each you know particle size so it like you know, whatever size, a thou, you know, whatever PPM size, it could be like 17% of that is pulled through, killed, and can't live anymore every pass. So if we do that pass six times an hour, it should be able to pull and kill everything through there. Because that's the one thing we have is like, we still pull external conditions into our greenhouse through air. Right. It's not filtered coming in. So I hope this doesn't sidetrack, but this, it just spurs this question with me. When I talk to, um, producers and farms that have uh these sun assisted sun assisted what some of them are light assisted it really depends on okay the the 
the, how you're doing it, I, I think, and this is a new term that I just yeah. defines a little, it's a little more definitive sure. around what we're doing. And I mean, a lot of people are still, I would say, doing light assisted greenhouses and they're not, mm. you know, necessarily flowering under lights. I think that's how the OLCC defines it is uh, if you don't flower under the lights. So if you just right. use the lights to supplement the, you know, the, um, the light cycle to keep them veggie. Sure. Yep. Then that's, you know, more of like a, a light assisted greenhouse situation. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it, again, it's a new term that we think helps define it, but it really depends on the producer and how they want to, you know, say they're doing it. Because so, some people aren't producing year round in a greenhouse. They're only doing two, three rounds still, you know, in our environment where we're going all year in that greenhouse. Well, and like you said, it seems like that you're always battling the fact that you're going to be pulling in some outside environment. That's that's where that agon came in because we are always pulling some stuff in from outside. It's, right, it's but is that necessarily controlled. is that necessarily bad though? Because does that add to the terroir? Can you still? Yeah. I mean, instead of being a sterile, it, it's a controlled environment. So we want to control like every every aspect that we can. In there. I see. Um, and you know, one of the big issues we think we had in this last year with you know, commercial hemp blowing up is that we had rotting hemp fields all around us. I'm sure yeah. everybody dealt mm -hmm. with that and, you know, the high amount of mold spores in the air. And we think that, you know, having that high of a level of spores in the air and not being able to filter that coming in or, you know, sanitize, sterilize that air as it's coming into our greenhouse, because we are using passive airflow. It's very ener energy efficient to knock down humidity and heat in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, that over time that's just going to accumulate in our greenhouse and we think that 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 had some really bad effects on previous rounds so that's why we chose a machine that could hopefully sterilize that air because that's an example of an outside condition that we don't you know so i would imagine vapor pressure deficit is an issue here does like, that make sense what, like do you try to keep a balance of the pressure of inside that yeah we're doing our best to run to run a VPD if we can. Okay. Um, you know, and you know, we're still, we're still learning a lot. Oh, I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, like we're, we're doing our best to hit that realm and the agam has really helped us with that because it's heating and dehumidifying at the same time. So those two environmental controls aren't fighting each other. Whereas usually you're heating and then you're, you know, you're pulling that humidity out through exhausting a greenhouse, which is, you know, cooling it down and then your heat kicks back on. This machine's doing it all in one. So it's super efficient and we're able to retain a higher temperature and a higher humidity level if we want. Um, and we can, you know, knock that down as we please. But it's it's helped a little bit, but I wouldn't say we're like perfectly in VPD all the time. No way. But we're striving to be and we're striving to find out like little adjustments, you know, with how our greenhouse is interacting with the external conditions to do that. For sure. We think that that's a positive. We think that that's a good uh a good road to be steering towards is to have the VPD. Absolutely. And have you seen this new system? Have you seen it benefit you guys yet? Have you gotten that far yet? <laughs> so we have, we just finished this whole Did project. You? Okay. Like, I mean, one big thing with this system too, is it's supposed to reduce our energy costs through propane by 60%. So oh, we're wow. pretty excited to see like our first propane bill. We haven't even had one yet because it's been running a little less than a month. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's we, amazing though. 60%. It's designed to run overnight really effectively and basically keep all the leaf surfaces dry as well. So that we're not like harboring 
you know, bad bacteria or, or, or fungus or mold and things are getting into the plant at night. Um, so yeah, we've seen our environmental controls at night being much more stable right. when the curtains are closed, especially. Right. Yeah. And then in the day, because we have like a low, a minimal heat mode setting, so it's able to dump the heat out of the greenhouse while running all of the air through it still and dehumidifying and sterilizing, sanitizing the air. Um, that's kind of why we're running it in the day mostly because we use our other controls to to cool and do things like that in the day. But um, yeah, so we're just scrubbing the air in the day with the machine and then at night really using it to hold that environment super stable and heat the greenhouse. Which I imagine is probably one of the worst times, right? Nighttime? It's one of the hardest to well, control. I mean, the nighttime in the morning too, especially when we're getting that transition from being really cold to all those lights kicking on and it being hot, that just leaves a, a point where it gets to be hard to keep everything dialed. So we're excited to see it this round though, you know, yeah. as an overall answer to the question, like we've only been able to see it based on how much more stable our environment has stayed yeah. so far. That's great. But we haven't actually gotten to see the results of it being used like in the flower yet so this round is going to be a big round for us to really be able to get like a tangible difference and see how much different you know how much bigger we can get the buds to swell how much we can reduce any sort of like mold or mildew especially in strains that are more prone to that so we did hydronic heating in our beds this round okay um a lot of times uh um, now before you go too far yeah, into yeah. that do you want to explain what that is yeah so i mean it's it's we call it hydronic heating you can call it bed heat you can call it um floor heat you know radiant heat it's is just this basically the hot water that's this is hot water lines okay. going running through our soil and nice. oh and this is the what i what i just missed on is that one of the biggest we're trying to prove this model with the whole raised beds in a greenhouse and being able to like produce, uh, you know, in hopes of a higher quality product in the long run. But one of the big issues we deal with, and we've seen a lot of people move from beds to pots because of this, is the the volume of soil in the greenhouse. And we actually just replaced our soil and put in half the volume as we did last time, because that's one of the major um, issues is the evapotranspiration coming from the soil and the plants. So the more soil volume you have, the more humidity you're going to have as well. And obviously, if you're in your pots, you're usually going to have more plants to soil ratio, which you're still dealing with a lot of transpiration. But um, this is, and then the re, one of the big reasons we installed the hydronic heat was to help dry out. So this is this is heat that we can control the temperature is running through the lowest point of our soil. So where it separates from soil to the, our granite floor. Um, so in hopes that that, you know, that cold, you know, moisture isn't coming up from the granite and keeping the bottom of our rhizosphere cold because we know right. or at least you know the research shows that the rhizosphere is going to be the most active and the biology is going to be the healthiest between 70 and 75 degrees so how can we control that year round so we put a uh, a measurement instrument in and then install these hydronic lines and also to help um, push moisture up so that we're not like creating these moisture pockets in the bottom of our beds and you know harboring all the other diseases yeah. that come with that and mold and mildews. And mm -hmm. so hopefully what, what we've already seen is our soil drying up much faster. And we've seen like definitely some, some more rapid plant growth through using this. And it's just a fun thing to play with. Cause like traditionally it's used as a stage of heat in the greenhouse, just as our gom or our heaters are used as like a first stage or second stage of heat, depending on how cold it is. So a lot of people like in Canada, these big greenhouses use like radiant 
heat as their first stage because the heat's rising and they're usually under benches. So it's keeping just that whole realm super warm, helping dry the soil out as well. But we're using it to specifically target our rhizosphere and our biologic life and control that so that we know that it's as healthy as possible and drying up in the timeline we we think is uh, is just. And also, hopefully, one day the goal would be to, you know, have so much data on our genetics and how different bacteria, you know, helps produce, you know, different levels of terpenes and different types of bacteria and different types of fungal life strive in different temperatures. So maybe someday we'll be running like 85 degrees on this, you know, sativa dominant and we'll be running like a consistent 70 on this uh, other, you know, other genetic, I shouldn't even say sativa indica anymore, but right. you know, things that, that want that. And we see that like limonene or myrcene or something, you know, gets produced at a much higher level if the soil, you know, temp stays consistently higher the whole time so that bacteria can help, you know, make that happen. So well, that's, it's really, that's the goal. well, it's really interesting you say that because I think there's a lot of evidence that bacteria play a huge role in the terpene production. And we've also, there's twofold thing here. One is it seems like you're getting control of some issues that I think are going to be big problems for farms and producers in the future. Um, because I think those are going to be cropping up here more and more. So whether it's botrytis or the fusarium or uh, rust or anything crossing over into the hemp, especially moldy fields. I mean, I don't know. We're breeding yeah, I mean, grounds. We, yeah. We've been fortunate enough to, to learn from experience, you know, at this point. So, I mean, like we've, we've, you That's know, a good thing. we've taken big losses and we've taken big hits and we've seen, you know, a lot of things through these last couple of years. And I, I was, you know, cultivating and in a very similar style environment in Portland before this as well. Um, even more moist up there, say, but just, tough, yeah. you know, been trying to figure this out for a while and if it's a sustainable model, but, um, yeah, we're, we're fortunate to have, taken losses and be able to learn and recoup from those and, you know, apply an instrument or a theory to help combat that as we go. Cause you know, a lot of people aren't as fortunate to like take a major failure and then stick through that and, you know, apply something and outdo it and get to the next issue. You know, that's really what we're doing. We're just, we're getting to the next issue and who can, who can figure it out the quickest and apply something and, be uh, adaptable essentially like it's agriculture we're always going to be dealing with new or old or whatever we're always going to be dealing with external conditions that we can't control and kind of mm -hmm. manipulating and working with that so I feel we're never gonna we're never gonna get to a point where like all right no. like everything's good like we're yeah, never, <laughs> there, there's always problems yeah. especially with monocropping you yeah. know and like ultimately at the end of the day everybody or not everybody, but most people are still monocropping, yeah. you know, and we try our best to diversify and plant some beneficials and some good cover crop in our greenhouse and, and diversify the soil biology. But part of what we have to do is just inoculate things like those beneficial bacteria and beneficial fungi and um, just feeding the soil, all the things it needs with all these probiotics and everything to really keep it healthy. Because you're right at the end of the day, having all that stuff does help fight off all the bad stuff like fusarium or verticulum or like any of these other um you know Which fungal type seeing, diseases yeah we're just seeing more of it up. yeah yeah do you guys have any and again i'm not trying to sidetrack but do you guys have any troubles with aphids last year because i know I'm, i mean <laughs> who didn't you, right? You did, right well that's what i'm getting to is um it seems like that was the challenge of 2019 it's and funny. with the greenhouse i mean 
one thing about or sun assisted is that you guys have control of temp. So, I mean, you guys can raise that and kill off a few, I imagine. On the environment thing, you know, yes, you can just raise the temperature, but A, the plants only want to get so hot, and B, you also have to be really careful because when you start raising the temperature, if you got other bugs, other things will thrive in it. Like right. russet mites are going to kick ass if it's 100 degrees. You know, you don't want that. Like, they're, <laughs> they're, they're you know, even harder to deal with. Good so point. Um, there, there's constantly stuff like that. But go ahead, Peyton. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, too, because we saw a lot, in our outdoor environment, we really don't deal with them much unless it's a specific terpene, which it mm -hmm. seems like it's like a limonene, pinene, very like citrusy, lemony kind Skittles. of plants get them much easier. And if we can keep these plants, you know, as, as we like to describe nutrient dense, we don't really deal with them much at all, especially in outdoor environments. But we do see like, okay, you know, we obviously have spots that are weaker and plants aren't thriving as well and they have issues harboring depending on where they're at in the field or other historical events that could have happened from cloning to those plants and it, it we're more, more proactive on it in the greenhouse for sure it seems like um they like to especially when we get to overwintering and it being a warm space for everything to want to harbor you know coming from the fall that um, we, we deal with them more in the, in our controlled spaces than we do, you sure. know, cause that's the one unique thing and an argument too about the sun assisted indoor is like, yeah, we're still on a farm, you know, like we, we got fruit trees, apples, gravel, dust, you know, we, you know, and it, it is people a sealed, coming and going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a sealed space and everything, but it's not a lab suit, you know, style indoor environment, which it, that is one serious advantage to doing that but is that model going to be sustainable right. as we hit you know a federal marker and is it going to make a lot of sense you know because absolutely know. and these it's are important just, things yeah right. um and even as monocropping sustainable i mean can you imagine the united states being just one big hemp field <laughs> i mean it's going to be a dust bowl it's going to be you know a mold rich dust bowl yeah right, I, right. I, I, I heard i heard future talking about on okay on, so on I, I guess I'm, I'm picking that up no, yeah. yeah yeah i mean because he said yeah you, you know hemp can't save the world no. unless unless uh it does unless it doesn't you know harm and kill the right. world first you <laughs> right. know and it's a that's that was a good point the unfortunate thing about you know hemp right now is it's just like immediately commercialized so we're getting a lot of people with you know I wouldn't say poor intention. I'd say there's a percentage of people with poor intention with it, but just like no intention. They're just like going at it as a cash. It's crop, like throwing something on the money. wall and yeah. hoping it sticks. You know, like, yeah. no, like the, seeing the love's the, not there. Like no. we have with cannabis. And I think that's a big part of where you see the huge difference between hemp and cannabis right now. It's like the people growing cannabis. It's like, We've been fighting for this, especially a lot of us have been doing this since far before it was legal, you know, well, and, paying and it's prices, like we've, right? we've been fighting for this, having to pay the prices, seeing, you know, friends go to jail, losing packages and mail, whatever, you know, shit happens. Like we've had to do a lot, but people are so dedicated to it and have that love for it that it really brings out like a whole different quality of crop. Whereas hemp, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there who've got that level of passion and intention with it and really want to like heal the world but there's also a lot of people who are just like growing it because they know it's going to make them some money or they at least they think it's going to make them some money um and that brings up like a you know a topic as well because it's you know at least what i see and what i want to strive to be able to do is because like when we get to these like more commercialized scales and agricultural scales um 
to be competitive, let's say on a federal or global level, you know, if you want to have a, a, a an international or national brand, you need to be able to produce efficiently um, in, in a large quantity. And most agriculture isn't doing that. So like I see a huge opportunity to, you know, you know, take a lot of these super, you know, we can call them regenerative. I feel like that's getting a little washed out too. I don't like mm -hmm. to say that. Um, I've been using the term like carbon net cultivation, you know, just striving to net more carbon every year than we, you know, use in the outdoor models. But um, to like, yes, take those organic models, apply them, make sure that we're doing, we're building the land as we go, but also making them scalable. And what they, I see a lot of what's happening is the people that are super hardcore, like permaculture, regenerative, and, you know, on that tip you know, aren't supporting the people because a lot of these people, you know, aren't worth supporting that are going for that commercial spot, you know? And if we don't get people with like a good intention in these more, you know, lined up in commercial sounds so bad, but in a large production scale, doing it right with a good intention, then it's just going to get blown out like everything else. And, mm -hmm. and we're going to end up being, you know, just watching these, these poor and, you know, this, however you want to put it, poor intended people, um, large ag, you know, whoever running that mm -hmm. side of things, you know, ruining more land and it just being the same thing. So how do we like take that and still make it into, you know, a model that is is building the land, you know, has real stewardship, really good culture around it and can also scale to the point where like, yeah, like these companies are doing extreme revenues and then taking those revenues and making extreme impact with those revenues because they're well-intentioned people. You right. Know? Mm -hmm. And that might've got a little off topic there, but no, I actually, mean, that's just it, something that I see, you know, it is. And it's unfortunate because you made the point to start. This was that the, the love was there with the THC, the love was already there and, and we had been working for it and, and you could see it in these farms that came up and these producers and extractors and stuff. But, but we didn't see that with him. Like it was, it was not, it they were just, was, here it was, one just, day it was, all a, of a, it was a crop. It, it was crazy. It was like, yeah. it, it, and I don't year, think you didn't even see it. You know, it was kind of funny. I think the first year that you were allowed to grow it, it was like, you saw like a couple of random big scale ones, like right off the side of the I-5 or whatever, you know, in spaces like that. And then all of a sudden the next year, it was just like every, everything was everywhere. being cut down and hemp was everywhere. I've grown up around here in the Rogue Valley since I was nine years old. Um, I just turned 30. So I've been here for 21 years. And I mean, I've seen fields that I've grown up seeing my whole life filled with fruit trees, you know, orchards, just full of hemp now instead. And just like fields that I've seen as corn fields my whole life. They're all of a sudden it's just like the fruit trees. They're the, oh, they're taking, they're removing orchards. That. They're even not a wow. ton of them because vineyard, you know, um, wine culture is doing really well out here still too, but there have been a few that have failed that have turned to hemp. And, but yeah, there's actually multiple orchards. Um, when you're driving around, if you're familiar with the area and you've been here for a long time, like I'm saying, I have where you're like, wait a minute, that used to be an orchard and now it's just a huge hemp field. It, it's crazy. But you, the the big thing is, yeah, it just, it just showed up so quick. It wasn't like that same tight knit culture of people working towards something like with all that love and like, you know, trying to share and, and improve and make each other better and, and share genetics with each other. It was, it was just all of a sudden this whole new culture of people was just here and, you know, they're all here in their big trucks talking about their big fields and, you know, bragging about how many acres they have. And I'm, it's just so funny. It's just so different. I'm used to, you know, not worrying about the quantity. It's just like, look at how dank this nugget is. It's not like 
look at how many nugs like you know like, <laughs> yeah. or like look at how huge this field is it's like not to say there's not some really talented hemp growers around here sure, making probably producing the the best hemp in mm -hmm. the world you know like Absolutely. people like chris over at blue fox farms has sure. a little hemp field and like these people that do take it as a craft there's they're definitely a percentage of them here that are serious about it but <clears throat> the majority Right. Well, they're, they're making is, yeah, real medicine and that's cool and props to those guys you know like i don't want people you know i i can come across strong and i know i have strong feelings about the whole hemp thing right now and some people think i'm just like a total hater on it and it's like you know i'm not i'm not a hater if you're if you're actually in it because you love it and you're not you're not wrecking the environment yeah i hate seeing acres and acres of plastic yes. yeah i was really confused oh. this year at the end of fall when i'm like why are these fields not harvested yet i can see from the road hundred yards away that half of the field is moldy like i you know it, it that kind of stuff's rough and it's like that's not good for our community but there's totally a medicinal side to it that's true and i know that there are people out there who have that serious love in it and who really do want to help people and help cure diseases and fight illness and and they are cultivating it in a very sustainable way and i commend those people you know i i love seeing that it's like whenever i drive by one of those fields that's ripping that doesn't have plastic on it i smile yeah i i really do because i'm sure. like oh wow okay they're not at least putting all that plastic down i know it's the easier way to do it but there's other ways to do it that don't waste and and use a bunch of of carbon products you know and you're not you're not just putting down oh, terrible plastic all over that's the field terrible, and yeah. and there's so many better ways to keep the plants happier too if they have a healthy you know, cover crop living beneath them and you can keep something that grows short, like, like white Dutch clover or whatever. Yeah. It might cost a little bit that first year, but guess what? It's also going to grow back the next year and you're not, yeah. you're not buying it over and yeah. over. So yeah. yeah, I, you know, commends to those guys who are out there actually doing it with love and putting, putting something good out to the universe. Like that's real medicine. And that's, that's what I want to see. And that's, that's been honestly one of the hardest things for me seeing is it's, it's all this stuff that's supposed to be medicine, but yet a lot of it's just it's it's crafted in such a way that's so far from what anything else that product, would be medicine yeah. would be, you know, yeah. and it just it just feels so false in that way oftentimes. So, well, let's get to what you guys are doing now. You guys are gearing yourselves towards producing flour for specific reasons. We are really looking at that. We're really trying to cultivate strains that are good for specific purposes luckily we're we're a very multifaceted producer um we're selling top shelf flour and we're also providing uh really high quality fresh frozen for some top shelf uh solvent based producers and some solvent or well really just one right now it's just bow but you know solventless producers as well so when we're when we're pheno hunting we're looking for strains that could fit all these types um, and it's, it's very important to us to find things that work really well for what we want to use them for. So, I mean, if something smells great on the plant and it's super terpy while it's growing, but then you go to smoke it later and it, it doesn't have the flavor to it, it's got too many volatile terpenes. There's not enough sesquiterpenes in there that are holding that flavor. We're not going to keep it for flour. There's a chance that we'd keep it if we notice it's it's gonna it stinks a lot on the plant and it could be really good for some sort of an extract. There's a place for it, or you know, vice versa. So we're we're definitely looking when we're pheno hunting for things that'll work for all these different types of products. Absolutely. Yeah. This year we're trying to. I would say it's it's a partnership, you know, partnering up with a few specific breeders because <clears throat> we're looking to grow the amount of canopy space we have outdoor as well. Um, 
based off this kind of like fresh frozen harvesting model. And so like taking and, and, and working closely with these breeders, like Jesse at BioVortex, original Dankster, you know, State yeah, oh yeah. Keith. Shout um, out to you guys. And it sounds Chloe. like uh, um, Dungeons Volt, uh, Dungeons Volt might be giving us some packs too. Cause we're basically saying like, Hey, like we have this space, you know, a lot of these breeders don't have like a bunch of space and right. we want to find, we don't want to just find the winner. We want to find like, you know, the LeBron James out of the pack, sure. not just right. the, the rest of the team there, even though those are all great, you know, yeah. we wanna, so, you know, we're trying to do selections where we pack like 50, you know, we're popping like 50 to a hundred beans of that one type. And then, you know, the goal is to work with those, those breeders in these fields who are also breeding and like, you know, at least uh, Keith and um, Jesse at BioVortex or, you know, they're breeding in like a biodynamic, you know, no-till permaculture, you know, super rich, similar uh, microclimate than we are. So we expect to see like, you know, similar, very strong plants, good results from that. Taking those and working with processors that are interested in working on that project and running individual phenos and being able to make um, really awesome selections for hash and flour. And then, you know, the, the goal someday would be to have like, you know, a tissue culture lab and be doing this every year, bringing in more breeders. And eventually those breeders are, you know, working on projects on specific cuts that are out of our fields and our different terroirs and, you know, just, just all this creativity going on, you know, and, and trying to like intertwine that from the breeder to the processor so that we can really get a lot of that data. You know, there's a lot of, there's some real heads that have the data, you know, that have been like, you know, you know, hunting and, were serious in the in the game before it went wreck that you know know that like this is going to hash well and these things but there's not a lot of that out there um and it's hard to find and we want to find stuff that's specific to our climate that'll you know last forever but i think connecting those dots is a big thing so that you know the breeder and the the breeder and the hash maker can also work together to you know find stuff that's good for breeding in, in the future. And, yeah. you know, the, the breeder's not able to, you know, get a lot of data right now from that end, you know, right. a lot of the breeders aren't in the system either, you know, so. And I want to just make note to our listeners that are outside of Oregon that you guys are working with some serious people here. I mean, you guys are, uh, I think strong partnerships are something that like, absolutely apps, you know, really, you know, they're undefiable that anchor that, that, um, the quality you're trying to put off, you know sure. what I mean? in, in, not just the quality of product, but the quality of people and interaction, especially in this space, you know, it's very like uh, a very niche culture. So like being able to like have a good group of people that work well together and have them make a premium product out of yours and your product helps support making their They're, product right. premium. You yeah. Know, I like mean, there's a two road, yeah, yeah. two way street there. We want to provide definitely. as much value to, you know, the consumer, number one, but also, you know, our clients being the processor and kind of the breeder and, you know, whatever we can do to provide value through the whole stream of, you know, the production of the plant to whether it's a becomes a, a resin product or a flower product. And, you know, I think that just asking that question a lot helps out. Like, how do we how do we provide more value, a better service to our clients? And um, I think the breeding thing could be cool or. Well, with, with the technology that you're using and these processes that you're incorporating, it sounds like that you guys are going to be able to really make this happen. Um, yeah, that's the goal, man. I mean, like we wouldn't, uh, you know, and I think it, we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't, you know, striving for the 
you know, to, to produce the highest quality product that we could. And I think a perfect example of us doing that is we wouldn't be able to have like someone like Tyler as a part of our team if we weren't striving for that. Cause Tyler's the most, uh, I don't know. I'm picky. Dude. He's very picky. I'm picky. He's, I'm picky. I'm picky <laughs> about picky. just about everything when it comes yeah. to flavors. I will never let you try like, my flower. <laughs> oh, I'd love, I want to try it. So, I, I love some nice sun grown herb, man. I, I oh, do you that. really? Oh, definitely. I, you know, and I think that's one of the cool things that's, that's kind of brought us all together. You know, Brandon, as he mentioned earlier, the, the founder of the company, he's his favorite flower to smoke is actually outdoor. Mm-hmm. And, I can I can resonate with that. You know, it's not always as pretty as the flashy indoor well, it weed, gets beat but up. it gets a little bit beat up, but it also holds that in because it's it's built to get a little bit beat up. It's got to withstand the yeah. environment and it's that full spectrum that you're getting out of, the, out of the natural sunlight untamed. I mean, you're just getting a more full spectrum of cannabinoids and of terpenes and terps mm-hmm. are what it really comes down to at the end of the day. And, you know, that's that's what I'm the most picky about. And that's that's what we're producing really well. And it, it totally keeps me around. You know, I yeah. actually kind of started the company or I started working with the company on a random whim. I was I was still doing my medical grow. I think and, it was actually through Keith. Yeah, was, it was through Keith. Story. It was totally through Keith. I, I was looking for some extra money. Story. I was I was working hard, you know, and I needed some extra money. And I heard these guys were paying good for trimming at the time which is funny because i was like dude i haven't even trimmed in years but hell i need some money right now yeah, i think like, we're paying 200 bucks a pound for yeah, outdoor hand trim they, they were paying 200 bucks a pound so i was like sure wrong I'll, with that. I'll, I'll be over there you know and then um the just working there the the, <laughs> the flower came out amazing it was very terpene rich but i was i was intrigued right away i was like okay what's going on out here you know like what how do they get outdoor this dank? It's right. kind of funny because I'm I'm from around here. I've seen you know all kinds of really dank looking outdoor being grown. I'm like, who who are these guys? I got to heard of them. Like, and they got some really dank weed though. Like, what's going on at that soil? You know, brings out brings out a really nice terpene profile in a lot of this cannabis. And I think that's part of what's made our product work so well for a lot of these producers too. Is you know we're we're producing really terpene rich cannabis. And uh, the terroir of our field, I think, adds to that sure. and helps that out big Absolutely. time. Absolutely, and I, I think uh, I think our terroir here in Oregon has a lot to do with that. But I mean, like when we grow, we grow like half the year in the sun, and the other half I've got essentially a hoop house. And I don't. What, what would you classify that as? Is that is that sun grown outdoor a hoop I mean, house? Yeah, it's yeah, it's sun grown. Is yeah, it sun grown? Okay. Depths. Yeah. yeah. It, I would still say it's sun grown though, because I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it's only sun that's hitting it. You're not actually getting artificial light hitting no, it. No, I don't you're use just, any lights. Yeah, you're just I, controlling I'm just covering the, 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 the hours bit. of lights that it's getting well, to that, get an earlier harvest. You well, know? that and also, you know, when we get into October, it gets cold and that's rainy. True. You're covered. You're covered. So, you're not you know, getting beat up, up by the rain as much. You're not getting frosted as much. It's nice. You can definitely get a slightly, I believe, especially in the fall you can get a slightly higher quality out of out of covering your crop if you can but i've also seen a lot of people screw themselves over trying to cover their crop too because if if the if the cover is low you know you're you're just getting that extra humidity built up right around the buds and all of a sudden everything's just starting to rot in there i agree but, and you got to also be careful like you can like if you're already outdoors and then you close that off at in August or September or whatever, you're kind of closing off everything all the bugs and everything else in there you there, know there's something about like in, in any environment as a human being or a plant or whatever, like putting things through grit to make them good, you know, agree. You know yeah. what I mean? So like it's true the plants that are going to be very, you know, do 
very well outdoors, you know, because they can handle those harsh conditions and what those harsh conditions, you know, in unique year, the terroir, mm -hmm. you know, those different expressions mm -hmm. the plants make is kind of like why it's, you know, why it's so special. You know what I mean? Is that, you know, in a perfect world, we'd have our fields full of genetics that we've hunted in that field that, you know, don't do, do the best there, do better there than anywhere else in the world, you know, and that would be through like trials of, you know, different seasons and different levels of grit, you know what I mean? Different like external conditions that those plants handled. And that's why they, you know, why they're so strong, you know, just, yeah, just like not, not like bottle feeding your kid too long, you know well, what I mean? Or whatever, you know, like it's a similar, yeah. like, yeah. And you have in Oregon, especially you have to be on top of your game to produce outdoor flower. I can't say it enough. There's a reason why there's you guys and the Bensons mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, I think Ananda. Ananda kills yes. it. Old gold. He's grown. We've, some fire we've been talking. Yes. You guys have separated yourself. All these, the people we've just talked about, you guys have separated yourselves by producing outdoor that's really good. And I think that's important because I think it's one of the hardest things to do. Done correctly and not saying that we're doing it. No, 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 right, no. In any means, right. it should, those things should actually be, you know, playing in the unique expressions of the plant that make it, you know, a higher quality than others based off your specific situation. Interesting. It, it, I believe, you know what I mean? No, like go the, ahead and elaborate. Those, especially like, you know, I think we're talking, I think we're on yeah, the same page yeah. here. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, plants handling extremely low temp conditions, mm -hmm. you know, or like if you can, you know, your plant, if your plants can handle a freeze without actually getting frozen, right. if you watered at the perfect timing and everything was just right, like you'll most likely get a unique expression that's different um, if, if it can handle it, you know what I mean? If it can strive through that and not deteriorate um, just like a human being. I yeah. Think, I and, think there's like that certain, there's like some kind of funny hard to quantify threshold of stress that the plants undergo that I think really makes them express like the most full, mm -hmm. the most full expression that they can, you know? Um, and it's, it's just like kind of one of those funny things where sometimes you'll accidentally, like maybe you accidentally break a branch on a plant and it gets kind of stressed mm -hmm. out for that week. You that know? happens every and year, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it happens all the time. Exactly. <laughs> but sometimes you'll notice that those plants will end up being the best or one that had a little bit of bug pressure at first but then it was able to get itself out is going to be the best because it, it's it's the plant putting out its own natural defense mechanism. Um, those The things that we like that get us high, that smell good to us, are the exact things that are deterring a lot the of bugs. these bugs. Yeah. Exactly. So the plant gets a little stressed out and it knows it needs to fight off these external, external things happening. And all of a sudden it starts pumping out some extra resin, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, and I, there's definitely diminishing returns on that, too. Yeah. Obviously, um, nobody's going to handle like a month of rain. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everything's going to deteriorate to one point. And you might have to harvest early. But the, I mean, this is the big like I I fully believe that the highest quality cannabis product in the world at one point will be aged, very specific hash rosin or just or just bubble hash from specific years and valleys like this like let's take the you know the the tolly man bow's nose right. collaboration this yeah. year and like you know eventually there's going to be like uh people are going to understand the nuance more at a you know at a 
you know, commercial consumer level, you know, just like wine, it's going to be so similar to wine. That's why there's like thousand dollar bottles of wine because of that specific year made that specific grape express in a specific way. And it was harvested perfectly. And then everything went correctly. And I I think that hash rosin is, or, or just bubble hash. Actually, I don't know enough about storing bubble hash for a long time. I know that rosin can be stored for a good amount of time and express itself differently if it's done correctly. Um, can be the one thing that, you know, can actually age and get better. Right. And reflect that years down the road. So people will be sitting around like this is like the 2010 BNK hash rosin from this microclimate in yeah. this year. And people are going to be able to taste it just like wine. They're going to be able great. to taste it. They're going to yeah. be able to taste the strain and be like, this was a wet year or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that's important because those nuances people will like well that, but that's know? good because like oregon is the most competitive market in the world and yeah. the most legit market in the world um in my opinion when it comes to like the quality of products being made here the volatility of the market in the beginning and you know who's striving right now and the you know how it got over licensed just all the things right. that happened you know has really like made it so you have to be legit in many ways to make it here you know what i mean everybody's got their their pitfalls and downfalls and things they go through but most people didn't make it you know most illegitimate people maybe with the wrong intention or not enough experience didn't make it through that volatility you know and those licenses got sold or given back and now the people that are still here at least that went through that from the beginning you know have i think the most experience in a volatile market uh, and the best experience moving forward as we move on. Cause like Washington, you can't say Washington's like that. Washington's a legit market, but they don't produce, they can't produce super high quality outdoor at a right. low enough cost. The scale is we, different. We right. can produce the highest quality cannabis in the world here at the lowest cost. So it's like, that's a huge part of economics and why like corn is grown in one area and things are grown in different spaces. And like Northern California and Southern Oregon are the spot to be for that where it's going to, I think uh, makes sense economically to do long-term. So one of the big things that we're striving to do along with like grow the highest quality cannabis is also produce environments to, you know, produce in a way, produce the highest quality people as well and leaders within our organization so that they can move on and spread good intention and good operational practices elsewhere if they move on or, you know, we, as we grow our, business, you know, everybody is kind of a leader. Everybody's kind of a supervisor. Everybody can make feedback and um, can question, you know, things that are going on. We always want the best idea, not just the first idea Mm -hmm. or someone's, you know, Mm -hmm. favorite idea. So like we, you know, we strive to have um, a meritocracy within our culture. So, you know, you're, you are um, prompted to bring up things that you find important or question ideas or, um, you know, provide valuable input on everything. You know, we have a meeting every morning and we cover certain topics and we want to know basically like if you're a new member of the team, we you, like it's, it's, it's expected of you to make input in the meetings. Even if there's no like a, there's no hierarchy when it comes to the value of information in the meetings. Like there's still got to be a decision made and we got to go a certain route, you know, and there's things that come with that, but allowing people to feel heard. And uh, I think that promotes, you know, creativity and allows people to, you know, hopefully in the long run want to come to work. You guys are bringing it. So what, uh, what's the future for uh, Indigo? 
our goal is to expand our footprint um, in Oregon with our, our outdoor footprint as much as we can that the market can handle where it's providing, you know, a value to the companies. We don't want to like flood the market with a bunch of outdoor and sell cheap shit. We want to sell high quality stuff. Um, but it's too good, a good amount of water rights under our belt right? so that we're set up and continue, you know, perfecting what we're doing here. Cause if we're doing it right here, we're going to be able to keep doing it right. And I don't think that we don't have any intention of any cultivation in other States or anything like that, because as soon as the lines open up, it's like you show up with, you show up at a Massachusetts vertical operation with a non-defarms product at $2,000, you know, a pound and yeah. they're paying like 35, 4,000 for their boofy indoor, you know, it's like that mark, all of these markets just collapse when that happens based off the quality and low cost that we can grow here. Right. So, you know, our goal is to grow our company and culture, build the leaders, get, you know, get more properties in place um, for that with licenses. We'd like to have a good amount of licenses um, around this valley. But I mean, everything comes with time, you know, and also perfect our, you know, our raised bed, you know, living soil, biodynamic, whatever you want to call it, systems in our sun assisted indoor environment and continue you know, dialing that, producing consistent yields out of there with new genetics and, you know, acquire through selection a lot of um, diverse, unique and strong genetics get into tissue culture so we can actually store and harbor those and clean them and scrub them. And, you know, everybody's dealing with this hop latent virus now. And I all know, this shit, right? you know, like so makes you wonder what's on the I mean, like if we're going to end up with a lot of other types of issues. Like I know we've already seen the simple stuff, aphids, fungal issues and stuff like that. But I mean, it could get nasty out there. Oh, it's, it's get with yeah, the monocropping yeah. and, and all that. It could get nasty because really hemp is the same thing, right? Right. Yeah. It's tough because there's a lot of plants that pass these on. I mean, it, right. just as the name implies this, this disease was originally the one he's just talking about the hop latency mm -hmm. viroid. I mean, that was originally found in hops, I think back in yeah. like the late eighties or something like that. So it's on, on the grand scale of things is actually a more recent discovery and it's found a completely different plant. And now we're getting it here and you get stuff like that tobacco mosaic virus. I was just going like, to mention There's that, all man. kinds of different stuff that'll keep and, coming at us. And, and we just have to keep growing and trying to adapt and finding, you know, things through genetic selection and, and good growing practices to, to combat this and stay healthy. And I think that's a, you know, a big summary of, of as far as what is our future hold, like you were saying, it's just like, we're trying to do what we're doing now, but we're trying to keep that same quality and dedication and passion and be able to scale it up to provide for a larger marketplace because you know, somebody out there, we can't leave it to just all the small, not all small micro grows are going to be able to provide the nation with cannabis. So, you know, little backyard gardens like Keith and Chloe is like, they're killing it. Yeah. There's some people getting their really dank weed, but it's not accessible to everybody. Right. So we want to be able to provide a product on a larger scale that's still grown with that kind of love and that kind of intention and that's, that's real medicine like that and that you can smoke knowing that you bought something that was grown with, you know, sustainability being heavily in mind. Which is huge because, I mean, we can't just be a bunch of indoor growing power sucking. Yep. <laughs> I mean, the only person I've ever seen it do it right indoors is Deschutes. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there, but they are fully off the grid. Mm -hmm. Um 
Not not cheap. Yeah, I've heard a lot about it. I haven't gotten the pleasure to, it, to it, see it. I would love to see their operation at some point. Yeah, it's great flower, and they things. do they do a lot. But um, I mean, it's it's they've it's serious. It's serious. Well, yeah, stuff. they're and they've had to go all LED. Mm-hmm. They all their uh, buildings are covered with sun panels, um, and they got their own generators and their own battery cells and it's amazing man. so they're not even putting their power back they're into the grid they're, they're okay they are it. so they're selling it and then that goes back well they they're the, whatever's extra they don't their their intention is not to make money on the power but right, they, they've right. got enough to cover what they use and then anything that would be extra goes back to the power company for sure but as far as i know their intention is not to make money on the power right. i mean it took a lot just to build out um that much for them Oh, you know, I'm sure. Yeah, know, I mean, that's this, tough. Just a few grows, several, even if it is all LED, that uses so much power. Oh, so to be able to generate that much power to run that type of an operation for, on your own uh, yes. is really cool. Um, it, and especially yeah. on a larger scale like that. So. Well, I mean, I don't know how large. I mean, it's fairly large. It's a few uh, lengths of commercial buildings. But um, I just, you know, like you said, it just takes so much. So, yeah, yeah I commend them. But, man, the, you know, that kind of effort for just to be inside is you know, we have um, a lot of other ways that we can incorporate to to make this. Right. Yeah. So know. long as you're in the right place. Right. So like if you're in Bend, yeah, that's that's as good as it gets out there. Probably, right, you right. know, you might I think, or well, Portland. maybe or it's, yeah. it's getting there. I think you could run a system like ours in a place like Bend as well. But um, well, you look at Colorado, yeah, that's, that's part of taking advantage of the what we what we're blessed with here yeah. with this small environment, like he was talking about yeah. between Northern California and Southern Oregon. It's like we're blessed with this little pocket of goodness yeah. where we can grow amazing cannabis without all this other stuff but it's it's a small it, it, in relation to the whole country or the whole world it's a small area and yeah. yeah there's other places that you can do it all right outside but there's very few places in the world where you can put a plant in your backyard and have it turn out oh, amazing man. i mean like the last yeah. two years um my personal garden that's just in my own backyard or whatever I've actually been growing water only cannabis. I haven't sprayed it once. I haven't fed it once. Sounds I like the I'm in the soil at the beginning of <laughs> the season. And seeds. I literally, I literally just water it. And nice. especially when I have grown his seeds, because genetics are such a big part of it. Like yeah. honestly, it's been amazing cannabis. I've been smoking it next to all kinds of other great yeah. top shelf weed that, you know, costs an astronomical amount in comparison. And it's it's amazing. And I, I literally watered it last year. It was in native soil to boot. All I even amended it with last year was compost and a bunch of forest mulch. And I was living in Williams. So, you know, got to use the native Williams soil, which is really rich and well-renowned for growing some yeah, of the is. best outdoor cannabis in the world. But um, it was really cool to see the plants thrive just with so little yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and if you're doing like if you build up the soil like you're talking about and keep continually building it and and doing that, it I mean, doesn't it just keep getting better and better essentially? Theory, yeah. yeah. I really mean, it does. Yeah. I mean, theory, there's but, a lot like once you get right. to like the I mean, I yeah, get there's it, so but, many different like you start reading like the Intelligent Gardener <laughs> and other books like that, you know, these people that are at like the peak of it and then yeah. it's like if you do it right, yeah, it should get better, but there's a lot of fine tuning to get it right sure look at dragonfly earth medicine have you guys seen the oh Oh, of course yeah we're familiar with them jeez man yeah and they're and they're up in canada Canada. too yeah Yeah, it's cold as hell out there it's cool they got that uh wallapini greenhouse so it's actually insulated part way by the earth like dug into the ground (laughs) to help keep it warm from geothermal heat you know and it's like we're scheduled with them in six months hopefully it works out that's awesome yeah Yeah. those guys are like 
I think the pinnacle of regenerative cannabis. That's right what I now. mean. Like, like they're I mean, really up there. If you can get, how do you if you can get, get them here certified, like yeah. you're killing it, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. that's, that's a rigorous program sure. that, that really requires a lot, you know, and it, it, there's, there's certain things that, that are tough on a large scale to do that. Like for yeah. us, like one of their things is you can't have hydrocarbon extractions. Right. So right, for right. us, it's like, that's one thing that automatically keeps us from being able to get that kind of a certification. But like, yeah, we're very aware of of that whole that whole company and what they're doing, and, cool. and we look up to them largely oh, for cool. sure. We, it's funny speaking of like the the terminology dilution in this space. Like you know, we say regenerative, and like we think of you know Dempier, we're like that's regenerative, right? You know what I mean? And right. then you get into these other people that are just using it now. Like for example, we were in Portland at a dispensary a while back, and uh, actually wasn't that long ago at all, and you know, this guy's like, yes, he has like a grow in his shop. He's like, it's all regenerative cannabis. And we're like, well, how is it regenerative? You know, we were just in there as like a consumer, you know? And uh, he's like, well, you know, I'm taking my like cocoa and my soil from my rooms and I'm putting it outside and I'm growing a garden in it. I'm like, oh, and he's like, yeah, it's fully regenerative. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, so this is why it's like this is like right? full spectrum isolate. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like this is why you got to be careful with these 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 words and these yeah. terms and like keeping them, you know, strict. Nipping things. Well, it, nobody has real control over it. Just no, like, you know, there's no. And and the problem is, is marketing gets involved. And so it comes down to like you go to Safeway and you find the full spectrum isolate. The, the marketing terms are so diluted, and the the general consumer is not educated especially the ones that should be more educated about cannabis. Yep. So the older people that have problems and pains and whatever, you know, they look at these terms and they don't know. Do you, do you oh, follow Emma Chasen and mm -hmm. Eminent Consulting? Oh, you should definitely okay. see what she's doing. She's, she's got a very professional education platform. That's great. And she's yeah. extremely intelligent. And I mean, she's doing, she's playing, she's, uh, she's fighting the good fight on educating the consumers oh, nice. really well. That's a big thing, yeah. I think, is, is making sure people understand what they're reading even. Oh, I think it's like, huge. you guys can throw these terms out too on the podcast and everybody can hear it and it's all going to sound good. Yeah. But do they know what that means? Exactly. And if they right. do, do they know what it really means? Yeah. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's huge. The education factor is, is huge. I think one of the. One of the funniest things, just being like a somebody who's heavily involved with the weed community, you know, I get people who are maybe a little bit less involved and they'll come up and be like, hey, man, you want to hit this pen? It's like 99% THC or like, you know, they, they bragged to me. It's 110%. I'm like, it's like the most common thing that I get somebody trying to brag to me about how good their stuff is that's not like really involved in cannabis. And people are like, yeah, it's this percentage. And I'm like, I... I don't want to smoke it is the funny thing. You tell me it's that percentage and it's actually a turn off. Like right. I'm like, there's not enough room for terpenes in that. And it's not, I know it's not a full it's spectrum flat. type extraction and the high from it is weird too. It makes me a little edgy. Um, and it's not the same body high. It's almost all in my head when it's like that. And, um, yeah, it, it's tough, but I think I think that's one of the cool things that we're really trying to do as a company as well is be big on education. You know, when I go out and um, I put on a vendor event and, you know, we'll go to dispensaries and hang out for a few hours and they'll usually give a discount on our product. I'm not there to try and just get you to buy our weed. 
I'm not just going to give you a keychain and and be like, go buy my weed. It's like, I'm there to educate <laughs> you. We actually don't even have free stuff that we give yeah. away. We have like a couple things that are of a higher value that I'll actually do like a free um, raffle for and somebody will get to enter it and I'll call them and then they can come back into the dispensary and pick up their prize later. But they'll get like a really nice canvas handbag that's print printed with organic soy based ink in Portland or like, you know, it's something cool. It's not wow. just like a bunch yeah, of like yeah. I want one. free. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a bunch of free cheap stuff. But what I'm doing there rather than giving away a bunch of free cheap stuff is I'm educating people. Yeah. Like I'm there to set up and to educate people and tell them like, what is actually important? Like, why is why is our product worth buying? Mm -hmm. And like, what separates it and other products like ours from other stuff on the shelf? And like telling people like what they can be looking for. Being an educated consumer myself, I can help point out signs that they can look for while they're smoking their cannabis to make sure that they actually have like a truly high quality product, you know? And I think that's huge. People feel so much more grateful at the end of that experience than they would if they just got sold on something. When they feel like they actually got to like learn and be educated genuinely, um, they feel really good about it. Yeah, especially you know? THC numbers. It's like the consumer's still walking in and being like, where's the Everclear? And it's like, it's like, so ever, it's like, it's like Everclear, not to say that there's not some phenomenal cannabis that's high testing by any means, yeah, but yeah, you know, like let's say just like the average, like, you know, super juiced hydroponic stuff that's high testing, smells good, but doesn't have that that sesquiterp burn, you know? Um, it's like, yeah, it's like the consumer's walking in and saying, where's the Everclear? And that's still pulling the premium, you know, like the 99% yeah. per proof Everclear rather than like the handcrafted small town village mezcal. But yeah, like right. that's, you know, if you just look at the alcohol market, it's like a, an educated consumer knows that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll buy half the proof for five times the cost because of the quality of the product and what they're purchasing. Sure. But I also think that there's an experience there too. Like, you know, uh, alcohol for me, when I used to drink it, it was like whiskey was different than tequila. Tequila was different than say rum. For sure. As right. far as experiencing That's where we it. get into just a broad cannabis. Yeah. Content. Or even Everclear, you know, yeah. Everclear was like that. That is a de definite weird, different thing. Mm -hmm. um, with cannabis, I think it's a huge deal. Um, I get, even with edibles, like I can do an edible made from concentrate or an edible made from whole flour. It's all different. Oh, mm -hmm. totally. The way, yeah, uh, the way it affects you, yeah. you feel the, the high from um, it or the, like the drunk the from those effect. different types of booze you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. The, the effects are, are vastly varying for sure. But at the end of the day, I think the, the truth still holds to what he's saying. It's like somebody who's going to the store to buy a nice bottle of wine they're, they're not looking at the alcohol percentage, you know, that's not, that's not what's important because at the end of the day, like More you're going to, you're going to get enough, you're going to have enough, you're going to get enough to get drunk or whatever, mm. or to get, mm. to get high, like no mm. matter what, you're going to get stoned and, um, you know, smoke a little bit more or whatever. I get how people are trying to like stretch the dollar to some extent, but I think they lose out on a big factor of what else is affecting that high. It's, yeah. it's not all just THCA because when you're, when you're looking at that test score, um, and I think this is where a lot of people are misled. It's literally measuring just THCA and like a specific type of cannabinoid. And that's it. You're measuring just one thing, but there's all these other yeah. cannabinoids in there, you know, well, and there's all these terpenes that, and I think the terpenes actually play an even bigger effect, but it's like all these terpenes make a huge effect too. And a lot of that information is not displayed on packaging. All you see is that THC number. And, um, in, I, the, 
in the sativa hybrid thing is so bunk too, you know, it's like totally. what everybody, I think the next level of like would make a big impact on the retail is that everybody has, you know, a unique endocannabinoid system within themselves. Just like we all have a unique gut microbiome and react differently to different foods and they cause different reactions. It's the same thing with, you know, like you may smoke what you refer to as an indica, you know what I mean? That may get you like, really tired and couch locked or whatever you want to define that as. And then I smoke it and I feel very active mm -hmm. and very up. And it's like, so there's no real, everybody just needs to understand that like they're unique and like they're going to find things that work well with who they are, the lifestyle they live and their, their actual biology and chemistry going on, you know? So like just try things and you're going to find something that makes you feel really good yeah. in what you're looking for. But most times it's like, that's where a lot of this is going on because bud tenders, like not all bud tenders, but a lot of bud tenders are just like drifting people in these weird directions because right. they're not like, that do educated. You want a sativa, yeah. And do you want an indica? And then that's yes. it. But instead it's like, I think the real way to shop, like speaking on how your body, all of our bodies react uniquely. You know, I think a lot of it's just listening to your own body. Like when you open that jar, which one smells really good to you? Your brain knows what it wants, I think, you know. So I think when you go in and you smell something that you think smells amazing to you, that's because your body knows like it wants that, you know. So it, it's totally uniquely independent because there are certain strains that I don't I don't like the taste or smell of that no. other friends of mine love, you yeah. know. And it doesn't make anybody more or less experienced. It's just that we're all different and we all perceive all these different chemicals and things differently. So Absolutely. it's really important to use your own senses and not just take somebody else's word and to not just be, you know, following the the signage on these things. Don't just not buy it because it says indica on it. If you think it smells like the best thing in the store, but you typically want a sativa, but the thing that you smelled that you think stands out to you is an indica, like you should probably try it. Yeah, it's absolutely. probably going to do some good for you. you know? Absolutely. And I think that's a tough position for bud tenders because I would probably imagine that a lot of times bud tenders aren't leading you in the right direction. And I know I'm going to get a lot of emails on this one. Yeah. Um, no, it's fine. It should be talked about. Yeah, it people, really should be because well, it's hard because it's like an entry level position. Right. Makes so much impact on the consumer. So it's exactly. like, how do you compensate these people? Well, how do you create a culture of, you know, we don't have retail. We would, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about retail and like how we would curate a very special space out of that and, you know, how we would define these things. But um, yeah, like it's hard because it's, it's an entry level position that most people aren't compensated very well. So they're not very driven to like, you know, be at home studying on this stuff. Sure. They just like to smoke weed and, <laughs> right. you know, they want to tell you what they like and that's or what that's they've how, heard yeah and that's how like that, i mean or they, what they like that's a big yeah, one and that's still good yeah. you know that's still a good, a good experience yeah. you know connecting at that level but you know it's like how do you create and there's some dispensaries doing it you know like we we're big fans of like how ground up farms operates and like their bud tenders and if you walk in there you're going to get a really good experience coming out but um yeah it's like how do you create a culture where these people are super driven to get everybody the actual experience they're looking for at least right. you know or at least get them on that path and yeah. not set them up for disappointment you yeah. know like a lot yeah. of people get set up or for disappointment misleading with these like I, mean, I know like I, don't, I still don't eat you know massive edibles or anything like that because they make me feel they don't make me feel good and oh, like okay. sometimes i don't know 
you could be drifted in a position to some a product at first that doesn't make you feel good and get a you know a bad a bad experience a bad yeah. taste in your mm-hmm. mouth just like the person that takes their first dab and their buddy heats the nail too hot oh, and then dude. like fucking <laughs> take two years off your life yeah, you're yeah, like yeah. okay i just choked Coughing out like two crazy. years yeah. uh, or like well the edible is a good one you know i can take my medical dose is about 250 300 mm-hmm. okay that's where i get the pain relief that's where i'm happiest I get a high, like a, like an actual high, high, like about three fifty or four. That's a high for most people. Like I, there's people that can't take 10. Right. And so you give someone that can only take 10 and you give them a 50 and they're never going to eat an edible again. Right. Well, <laughs> because the next two days are screwed up for them. Yep. It's <laughs> tough because they vary a lot still within that. Like Even we get the these numbers and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad, like that's one thing that I do think has impro- improved massively with legalization is edibles. Um, I think they've, they've just come like a million miles along with like the oil. Like we've been, you know, obviously making progress with flour too, but people were already on that. But like one of the big things that I've seen improve is edibles because I mean, you know, we all did this since before things were legal and you didn't get to see the measured amount. And probably, you know, I know I ate a few things that got me like, you know, oh, fucked geez. up for like days or whatever. Black I'm like, like was... a whole day of just being like uncomfortably high. And like, I'm a complete stoner and I'm still like, oh my gosh, this is too the much for frown. me. Yeah. I just like want to fall asleep or whatever. So I like that you can measure, but I do find it funny how still certain products, one might say, there might be two products that both have 50 milligrams and one might affect me a lot more strongly than another. And I think a lot of it is one thing I've heard you touch on in this show that I thought was really cool actually is how it's broken down. A, is it made from flour or concentrate? And B, is it diluted with sugar or with fats or or like, you know, the oil thing? Because Mm. when you said that, it totally resonated with me because I have a really hard time digesting the stuff that is in fats and oils. For some reason, that's the stuff that gets my body that like uncomfortably high. It's almost yeah. it's almost guaranteed to feel sedative for me, yes. regardless of what product went into it. Yes. And it lasts like forever, right. you know, but right. then for some reason, like the more sugar based products, it's like my body can metabolize that. It feels a little bit more like a, a regular high, just like mm-hmm. a stronger high from when I smoke mm-hmm. and it goes away, you know, a couple right. of hours or whatever. And, yeah, it, feel, it feels a little bit more mellow to me. So, um, right, well, well, I, at least I'm not talking shit, huh? How did you, I'm a, okay. So Tyler and Payton, mm-hmm. we'll start with Payton. You're in your twenties. How did you ever find yourself in cannabis? What led you to this? What, where's the passion lie? Now, do you, before Running you on, go on, do you yeah, smoke yeah. weed? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of, for me personally, what works for me is like, I like to like micro dose, like okay. super high quality resins. So like very small, um, very small, multiple times a day stimulates me without giving me a body high. Cause I always find that when I get heavy body highs, um, cause I, I'm trying to be as high performance as I can, you know what I mean? Like just as an individual at sure. this age with the kid and, oh, yeah. you know, just trying to like perform and all this stuff. So you got like, all eight cylinders going. I can't man. feel, you know, I can't, uh, I, you know, I beat myself up if I smoke too much and then I'm not like a role model for whatever scenario I'm in. So, but like microdosing high quality resins really stimulates my mind in a good way. Like I don't even really realize I'm high. I'm just like, it kind of gives me a kicker in the right direction, but like flower, like flower is a very like end of the day thing for me. Like Mm. smoke a big, nice joint. Like I usually don't smoke a big joint. Um, I actually smoked a joint this morning with with Dana. (laughs) I got to kick my day off. (laughs) I never do that in the mornings, but 
Yeah, like uh, yeah, microdosing live resin or live rosin is kind of my take. I don't do a lot of edibles. Um, you're but a like, cheap date. Yeah, yeah. I mean, depending <laughs> on how often you're doing it. Oh, okay. Because yeah, it's I'm, I'm talking about like you know Bose product and yeah, shit like right. that. That's well, what I want to be smoking. But usually, I get it. You know, I get um, it. Usually trying to still squeal those homie hookups in. You well, know what I mean, you know, <laughs> unless you have a trust. I'm just fund. in it because I don't want to pay for shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The truth, the truth, the truth. <laughs> no. Um, all right. So like my, my, so yeah, I am a can and I go through phases. Like sometimes I'll, I will smoke every night and like, sure. you know, especially when we're pheno hunting and stuff, I really try to make like a good conscious, uh, in, input on this. Um, cause when we do pheno hunts, we do like a very rigorous process of smoking and giving feedback and then doing blind tests together. And, you know, I try to be, I, I try to take that jobs as seriously as all the other jobs, even though it's kind of funny that we're the smarking up a bunch of joints is work. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's, it's also a blessing. Safety you know? meetings. Super, super blessed to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely a avid cannabis user since I was like 13, maybe 12. What? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to get deep here yeah. now. Did religion play a part in your role with cannabis? Yeah. So if we get, if we get real down the rabbit hole, I I'm grew getting up, deep. I, I'm from Oregon. I grew up, outside Eugene in a, in a small town called Marcola. Um, I graduated with six kids in my graduating class. This is a public school. Fuck, man. Um, so Jeez. logging community, very conservative. Um, I was the one sheep was popular. I was the one skateboarder. I had like two other friends that did it with me on and off, but I was the one like serious skateboarder out there and, you know, dealt with like bullying and picked oh, yeah. on, you know, like sure. until eventually I ended up getting into sports later on. But um, so like through that skateboarding culture at a young age from like probably 11 to 15 is where I got really into cannabis because my mom would just drop me off at the skate park and, um, you know, that's, that's what we did. And that's also where I, I got a lot of like the ethics I have today mm -hmm. when it comes to respecting, you know, people in the hierarchy and understanding like people dynamics. Cause like skateboarding's, you know, you get into that culture and, you know, it, it, it's hardcore and it's serious and it develop like if you make it through it, you know what I mean? And you like, that's why like, I, I, I don't hate many, I don't hate almost anything, but I hate scooters. And because <laughs> what the fuck? It does, <laughs> he's like, cause it doesn't, and they're fucking scooter. Yeah. Out yeah. Of the skate cause it doesn't teach grit. <laughs> it doesn't teach grit. You hop on it and you can do it. And then you get all these kids in the way oh, okay. of people that have been working hard at their craft that are out there. Okay. You know, this is their passion. They're doing it and scootering. You know, is it, it's it, there's other things in life that compare more it, of a purist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's. I'm get a really... purist when it comes to standing sideways yeah. on the earth, right. surfing, snowboarding, right. skateboarding. That's it's a huge part of my life and my kids' life. Um, but yeah, so that's where I got intertwined with cannabis was just at a young age. I remember I got actually the one time I like wasn't smoking cannabis at a skate park. Well, I mean, so you were like your first bowl was at a skate park. Um, maybe there's one kid that you're like, like in the back that, that like smoked weed. Uh, I think it might've been at my friend Mitchell Collier's like 11th birthday or something. Maybe like, I, I don't know. Don't maybe, there was definitely like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he'd be, he'd be fine. Sorry, with it. Mitchell. Yeah, no, he'd be, he'd be fine with that. On blast. He's yeah, no, it's good. He'd be stoked. So, um, but yeah, like something, yeah, I don't, I think that might've been my first time. Was it like a birthday party? Like an unsupervised, like younger rebellious kid. But bottom party. line, it sounds like skating was part yeah, of that so big skating, influence yeah skating brought me into um the cannabis 
scene and like yeah. smoking it daily and like, you know, getting in trouble for it. And, you know, I got like kicked out of a skate park the time I wasn't smoking weed. And, um, you know, I remember like crying, getting kicked out of the skate park for smoking weed and like all these asshole cops on me. And then my dad, my dad is a, that's all you got was kicked out. Yeah. And my dad, but my dad was a, my dad was a Springfield fire chief and he, you know, got me back into the skate park. Cause those, cause I actually passed a drug uh -huh. test after that, which was really funny. I passed the drug test. He drug tested me and I, and I, <laughs> the story swab drug yeah, test. Yeah, and I, and pass, I, and I diluted I mean? it and I passed it <laughs> and I got oh back in the skate park. Um, I haven't told that story much. It, it hardly comes up, <laughs> oh. but, um, regardless skateboarding culture, right when I got out of high school, um, I got deep into snowboarding culture. My, I had a, a mentor that got me into the, just like, that's what I really clinged on to. So right when I got out of high school, I moved to government camp up on Mount Hood. And I didn't realize it at the time, but there's an extremely, an extreme cannabis influence on government camp. A lot of people in Southern Oregon that live the weed their life over winter in government camp. Mm -hmm. Government camp's a very unique place in the world still. People call it the Big Rock Candy Mountain. It's still a village. It's not, it's regulated by its village rules. So at like 18, I could like walk down the street. With Where two is this? Government camp at the base of Mount Hood. So I'm I could like- to look this up. Oh yeah, I could walk down the street with like 240s in my hand at 18. Holy shit. music, we play music and like, you know, sheriffs would just drive by, like can't fuck with you. <laughs> Cause like it's its own, it's just the Big Rock Candy Mountain, you yeah. know the old song? Okay, I do, you know, yeah. You never change your socks. Creepy. You know um, <laughs> but regardless, um, a lot of cannabis influence there. I didn't realize at the time and then uh, traveled snowboarding up and down the West Coast a little bit. By the time I was 19, I ended up working on a farm in Northern California in, in uh, Willits and ended up meeting. He's now the founder of UCG Consulting in California and one of the founders and part um, and leaders in Dabstract in Washington, one of the biggest concentrate brands, biggest quality concentrate brands. Um. And kind of really connected with him the first year. I've always had like a good work ethic from my dad. So I've always like stood out in, you know, the, you know, when it comes been to, able just, to be yeah, successful. just like, just yeah. like working my ass yeah. off, you know what yeah. I mean? And, it works. And uh, so, you know, that was my first like big in on like cannabis growing culture. And then I traveled to Guatemala for a little while with Keith and Chloe. Wow. I met Chloe. I God met damn. Chloe. I met Chloe on that farm <laughs> um, and then met Keith That's cool. in Guatemala <laughs> Um, and Keith was kind of the lead because he spoke Spanish. So he kept us like. Now, just there. so everybody's clear on this, this is original Dankster from yeah, previous and, episode. And Danny Lines. And Danny Lines. Yeah. yeah. So everybody knows. Yeah. So from there, traveled to Guatemala, got back, um, met my now partner and lady, Olivia. And um, basically, you know, had a young child. And so I, at 21, uh, at 20. I was about to be a dad yeah. and I That's had huge, been man. working in this like underground, like cool, um, cannabis trim scene. We were running like a, a trim crew out of a basement in Portland. And at the time we oh, were, yeah. we were, we were trimming, uh, so fresh, um, five Oh trees, gnome grown, like yeah. all the biggest yeah. badass yeah. producers, you know, at the time and still now like legendary sure. dudes. So we're trimming all that out of the basement oh, wow. before it went wreck. This was like the year before it went wreck. It went wreck. And then like a few of us kind of scattered out to those farms. And I went out to so fresh and worked with Tyson out there. And, um, the same within the same few months that it went wreck, um, I turned 21 
and the management transitioned out and there was a big opportunity to like, you know, kind of like help lead in different ways there. And I just, you know, worked my, worked my ass off and help lead all the post harvest and just like other kind of schedules and timings. I was never like, like, you know, like the main grower, master grower, whatever, but just kind of managed the dynamic, managed the people, made sure shit got done. And it was all like a living soil greenhouse system. So I really like got to interact with that and understand that. Sure. And then um, from there, two years later, it was just kind of like, I've always seen so much opportunity in this space and to make like a big impact. And if I wasn't striving to be an owner or a partner of an organization with an industry being so early, then um, what was I doing? And that wasn't available there. So I seek that, had a couple offers. And then, um, cause so fresh at the time, like we were crushing it. We were selling like $4,000 pounds. We were the sixth licensed farm in Oregon. Like, I mean, we were like, we were doing really good. We scene. had an all rock star team, yeah. you know, like, um, with great leadership. It was, it was just like, it was, it was really awesome then. And then, so I ended up getting an offer with this situation down here, came down here and there's really bad management, a part, part of this company. The company actually went, um, you know, like. Yeah, like within the first two weeks I got down here, the company went broke and I didn't get paid for like a couple of weeks. Oh, Tyler, Tyler was a part of it. A couple of these guys that are still brutal. here were a part of the company all at lower levels. And I just kind of like reset the whole situation and hired up with people that I saw would, you know, fit certain positions right in a dynamic that I understood, you know, to work from so fresh. And now we've developed, you know, our own systems and models and, you know, um, now we're here. So yeah, kind of, started a little bit in NorCal and then really like my background is unique because I'm not a heavily like black marketed person coming into this, but well, I, you, you definitely are young, but, but so. I, but I'm, but I get the culture and I'm a part yeah, of all these absolutely. You know, with, with these guys and I get it and I'm a part of it, but I was never like, I wasn't quite old enough to be like doing like heavy hustling back then. Right. You know right. what I mean? And absolutely. Like right. When I turned 21, it went wreck. So all my experience is recreational. Like I was like, you know, heavily into metric right off the bat. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a stuff. lot of like weird habits to bring in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, which aren't necessarily bad, but like sometimes breaking old habits is a lot harder than starting fresh. So like Especially all, 30 year old habits and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So all my experience is just like the, you know, living soil, greenhouse, sun assisted environment. Um, and in, re in Oregon, re in the Oregon recreational scene, six licensed farms. So, so just to be clear, it sounds like that actually you didn't have any really effect as far as religion on your. Um, I mean, we were religious when when I was. Uh, but I mean, it wasn't something that was a, like I, I I don't care what sect you're in, but like it never played a role on how you felt about it. Like, because when I grew up, it was a bad thing. My, it was a sin. My family was, you know, when I was young lot more conservative and you know very against it and through my development now my parents are super open to it they're down to be cannabis users my dad's still waiting See, to retire cool. and stuff and that's like they, they fully developed but yeah i mean at first like i've never uh i've always questioned the religion thing but yeah we were like christians when we were young mm -hmm. and i went mm -hmm. to church mm -hmm. and all that stuff but i've never I never really bought in. I never, never no, and in. I only ask that just because it seems like it plays this huge role in these uh, decisions that we make that can be yeah. profound. Like, I mean, look at this. You are a smart motherfucker sitting here taking care of rec. You know, you're doing rec gardens uh, and, and just killing it. And 
I mean, we need We're more, trying, man. We need yeah. more people like you. That, like that's the goal, man. That's yeah. the goal. And not to like, not to be like, yeah, I want more people like me around, but what? I want more people to like understand their potential. Yes. And, and, you know, basically, I mean, like how I'm treating this when it comes to like, you know, curating people, if you'd say, or like leading people, is it just like, I just want driven people that I can support in every way to be the best they can. Yeah. And those are the people we bring on, you know, like, you know, like, what can I, what do you need? And let me give you all the tools that you need to do your job. And then I'll continue working on the high level stuff, Mm -hmm. providing more opportunity so that someday you can make your six figures and you can have this like cannabis dream job that you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, that's how I take my, my responsibility. My role at the company is to support these guys to be the very best they can while also giving them more opportunity to grow. You know what I mean? And like, that's you awesome. know, like, cause that's what everybody wants, you know, I think is to internally be hired up and eventually, you know, play like a huge role in, in a very positive company, a company that's making a positive impact. So like getting people to buy in on that. And then, you know, people exactly like Tyler, like making so much impact as we grow on everybody else coming up, you know? Yeah. And I so. want to make clear that we're, we're talking about like, there's a lot of farms in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like Indigo, along with a, f- a bunch of others, are are at a higher level than a lot of other places. So I really think that you're bringing a lot of good things to the state. So Thanks, we man. really appreciate that, man. And one last question that I'm going to challenge you with, mm-hmm. and that is, do you, being Canada's culture, do you have experience with psychedelics and if you don't, is that something that you're open to? Oh yeah, I mean, I've I've indulged in psychedelics since I was. I mean, honestly, like what I first started with, which was whack and crazy. I'm surprised that you know nobody died. Was like, you know, kids giving us like like 25 I like fake masculine acid, yeah, like research chemicals back in the day, and just like having crazy experience, like bad experiences, and then had some really positive mushroom experiences and, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been a supporter and an indulger in acid and mushroom. I, I microdose uh, psilocybin often along with the oh, cannabis okay. thing. Yeah. I think that that's like super healthy, like having those, mm-hmm. um, those acute and like chronic effects over time to yeah. help with your brain and the yeah. functionality of it. Um, and I think that it's like completely helped with my perspective and how I approach things. Yeah. Now. And it's really weird. Like I, I keep asking this question because there's a, some cor- some sort of correlation between people that consume cannabis intently, mm. not just to go out and get high. I mean, we all do that occasionally, but if you're doing intently, it seems like you also have a relationship in some form or fashion with psychedelics, uh, even if it's microdosing. Um, in yeah. Oregon too. Oregon just like strong with the psychedelics and the movement. Yeah. And- everything going on. I think there's also going to be a lot of oppor- a, a big window of opportunity as that becomes legalized in the yeah. ways that it's going Lots to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's just know. weird how that correlation between, I don't know if it's just psychoactive substances or if it's just people like maybe the people who are interested in cannabis also are kind of in tune with plant medicine. Yeah. They're both psychedelics. I mean, cannabis they are. Is, still, it is still defined as a psychedelic at the end Absolutely. of the day. It's, so, it's not well, the same kind of experience as 
maybe you're going to get with mushrooms or LSD. It can be yeah. too, though. There's I definitely, push some edibles. Yeah, you you start pushing those the the it dosing be, up really yeah. high with some crazy edibles, and all of a sudden, and yeah, I'm not saying I, it I have an experience like that for sure. Where I was like, yeah, I felt like more like a mushroom trip than it really felt like a cannabis experience. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's like. People who are open to cannabis are open to the idea of psychedelics and they're open to the idea of counterculture. And it's like, if you know, especially if you've been in it since before it was legal, like obviously you're the type of person to make your own decisions as to what is and is not okay. And you're right. not too worried about what the government says is or is not. So Good if point. the government says don't eat mushrooms, you're like, well, pff, they said don't smoke weed and I like smoking <laughs> weed. So like, who's to say I shouldn't try those things? They came from the earth too, you know? So it's like, and, and I think a lot of people that have a positive relationship with cannabis at first are much more prone to do psychedelics and have more right um eye-opening experiences before they you know had you know good or poor experiences with alcohol sure but then you know i think that you're more tiered to do you know things like I mean, not that like there's any issue with doing these things but like you know cocaine and heroin and all these different types of drugs depending on which kind of which path is open to you first? Not to say there's not people that could do either one and go either path, but like just like let's say a general percentage, you know, whatever, a forty percent of that demographic or whatever. Um, but it, I think it all comes down to the experience you have at first. You yeah, know what I mean? And people yeah, being able important. to curate a space to have a good experience, so you have a good relationship with these herbs or these medicines long-term, I think a mm. lot of us had bad ones and kept trying, you know, right, right. <laughs> yeah, push yeah. through, but there's a lot of people that had one and they'll never do Profound, it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like or they they're... weren't in a safe space sure. with mushrooms. Like that's yes. one of the worst things. Oh. It's like, you don't have a safe space to go and you're just like out and about like, Oh my south. God. Like that's just like, you gotta have a yeah. strong mind for certain things. And like I said, it's not for everybody. Um, I think cannabis though is like people say cannabis is a uh, gateway drug to harder drugs. And I don't think so. I think for harder drugs, cannabis is almost a get a, get out drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I used cannabis for getting away from alcohol. Mm -hmm. I've used cannabis for getting away from other things that may or be not be a problem with me, but, but cannabis also has led me into certain other plant medicines that have been beneficial, which totally. is interesting. So I don't know where that relationship yeah, I mean, I'm all about anything that's historically proven right. to better your outlook. I mean, like, uh, you know, when my my partner Olivia was a part of a, an ayahuasca in a daimy church in Portland that her cousin leads, and um, he's a major. You know, he goes to the Amazon and he makes the ayahuasca and he brings it back for this church, and they're legally allowed to do that through their permit or their religion. I forget exactly how that works, but um, like. You know, my my kid when when uh, Olivia was pregnant, she drank multiple times oh. ayahuasca, and I think that that was you know like that's something that like I was okay with. I think that that like I don't know I don't know what it really played, but I definitely think that like my kid may have less past trauma to heal, or yeah. like something worked with him in the womb, sure, and like maybe he's more absolutely. But, you know, I'm that's I guess that's just an expression of how like open I am to those. Right. Well, level. and I mean, there, there's, it used to be that we would put our kids through these adulthood changes, you know, where we'd put them through a, a trip and this is your rite of passage, you know, and there's no rite of passage anymore. Yeah. So there's really no defining edge for any kids. And so kids go out there and they 
try everything. Well, and everything's you know? like if you if anything that you make un like completely unaccessible, um, that there's you know a type of uh, I don't want to say hype, but you know there's 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 stuff that people are talking about yeah, around you. Yeah. And, and uh, anytime you do that, people are going to be more prone to like indulge heavy when they do it. So yeah, like, you know, exactly. making people and kids like aware of like these medicines and what they do. And like, I know that like, I've never had an issue with alcohol. And I think it's because my dad was always like, yeah, you want a beer? Like drink a beer with me in the house. And like, I didn't really enjoy doing that. Like I didn't, you know what I mean? It was just like, it was, it was a common thing. It wasn't like cool. It doesn't so have like that I rebellious did. rush to it. Well, no. If and they were like, if you, you know, if you need to, if you know, if you're going to go get drunk at your friend's house, you know, you're out of high school, you're 18, make your own decisions, but like, don't drive drunk and call us if you need a ride. And like, that's it. You know what I mean? It just always made it. So it was less like, and then you see these kids that their parents are like, no, like you can't do any of this. And they just wild out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like get wasted and do dumb shit. Cause they're all, it's suppressed. It's just like cannabis right now. Yeah. It's suppressed for so long. And we're seeing like such an acceleration of growth so quick in this time, you know, anything you suppress for a long time and gets out, it's just going to like, Right. Well, you suppress it and you you prevent education. And I think that's mm -hmm. a huge thing that happens um, when you're when you're introducing these kind of substances from a younger age, you become educated on what that experience is, what proper dosing is, and you have somebody there to help guide that experience for you. And I mean, you can see it. Uh, on a large scale too, you look at cultures like um, like France, you know, um, they're allowed to drink at a much younger age. And it's common for people in that culture to be having, you know, a glass of wine at dinner at a young age or maybe just like on that whatever special occasion or whatever. But people are genuinely uh, there's a lot less um, abuse and addiction in that culture to alcohol than we have here because people are experienced with it from a young age. It's regular to them. They know what proper dosing is and they don't, you know, just go crazy when they finally get to try something. And they can they can let whatever that is out of them starting kind of gradually from a young age yeah. instead of just being like, oh, I can do yeah. whatever I want. Right. And all of a sudden or just like, going out and yeah. getting like fucked up and abusing stuff. And it's not like you might not abuse a, a substance a couple times anyways, even if you have that young experience. But I think your your odds of abusing it habitually and of becoming in an unhealthy way addicted are, you know, reduced drastically at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said, man. I mean, that sums it up right there. Uh, and I think that's part of what, like back in the day, what those rituals did. For instance, I'm going to just be real quick on this. My daughters, they see me grow every year. Mm -hmm. They have to help me in my garden. Mm -hmm. They don't like weed. Yeah, yeah. They don't like cannabis. <laughs> like that's work. <laughs> They're like, stinky, that is stinky. That it stings. Makes or me itchy. It, it, yeah. It, it, there's bugs. You know, we all see the bugs, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we, she sees all the process. And so because she has no questions, like she knows everything about it. She doesn't particularly want to be around it. You know, okay. now that's an individual thing. She might like it later. It doesn't matter. The fact is she has the knowledge and she, you know, it, she has no, like, I have no worries of sending her off to school and having her come home high because she's hiding it uh you know what i mean right. yeah, and, when, really and when she does she better be like smoking dead weed she better <laughs> better be <laughs> better be some of that indigo wookies i'll tell you that right <laughs> yeah. now son Should all right your tyler story yeah, yeah so tyler let's talk about you man uh how did you get into the game man man that's born uh, a master grower man that's it 
Nothing on that. <laughs> no, I, I got involved with cannabis pretty young. Um, I think the first time I smoked, I was 14. Um, I was down in Southern California. I kind of remember the whole the whole thing. It was it was kind of funny. It was like my uh, my sister's 16th birthday party, and she lives with my mom down there. She's got a lot different. She's just a lot different parenting style than my dad, who I've been raised by up here. And like my dad, I was still getting in trouble for weed when I was in high school. My mom bought my sister a bag of weed and let her throw a party with alcohol and everything for her 16th birthday. So there's 14 year old me down there. And, you know, I tried cannabis the first time and I had, I had that kind of probably similar to a lot of people intense first experience where I was like, Oh my God, like you're just like coughing my lungs out and then getting like so high. I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital or something, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and it was funny because I just heard this story from my mom about my sister doing that her first time and actually having to go to the hospital and then everything just being fine after a while. So I like that was in mind when that was happening to me. I was like, okay, I'm not actually going to ask to go to the hospital. I, I know I'm chill, you know, but, um, so that was my first time trying it. And then I, I moved or, or, you know, I came back up here because I was just visiting down there. And, um, you know, obviously cannabis is is uh, heavily used and a big part of the Southern Oregon culture. And I was living here. I've lived here since I was uh, nine years old now. And so I started seeing it around and like my older cousins kind of got me involved and they smoked some weed with me. And like, you know, I, I liked it right away. I could just tell I liked that kind of altered state of mind and, and I could resonate with it. And I felt like it was it was relaxing while also being fun. And I liked the the creativity that it inspired out of me. Um, I felt like it really helped me connect to my creative side because that's it's not something that was like pushed away from me when I was younger, but it's not something that was heavily encouraged either in my household. I was more encouraged to be like involved with athletics and, you know, things like that. So for me, it was kind of cool to have this substance that really like drove my creativity. And I found that creative side of myself. And I was also learning to play guitar at the time. So it was like kind of cool. I was like, yeah. all right, man. I, like, I kind of hey, like, music like, and weed, I, yeah, I like, I like smoking some weed and then picking up my, yeah. my guitar and kind of learn how to jam a little bit more. And so I totally just became involved with it as a consumer at a young age. And then, of course, in high school, just like being a kind of social person, I started, you know, meeting other older friends and stuff like that who were growers. And the next thing you know, I was kind of selling a little bit of weed to mm -hmm. high school, you know, mm -hmm. while I was in high school, just make a couple extra bucks. And, you know, the idea at that time was just like how do I smoke really dank weed without having to pay all this extra money? Yeah, and it's like, right. OK, I can go buy a really dank ounce keep an eighth and smoke it and sell the rest and break even or come out with like a couple extra bucks or whatever, you know, and, the, and that, that was just kind of how it started. And it was kind of funny because I've always been a bit of a, a picky person. I like I like good quality things. And I've got, a I think, a palate that a lot of people um, respect, I guess, and and enjoy. And so I was always kind of like the kid who had the dank weed. Like I never Look. I never had the good deals for you. Like I was going to charge you full price, but you knew I was going to hook you up with that fire weed. Man, you know? <laughs> see, there was two different kinds of people in high school. Oh, yeah. There's always the dude with the best weed and the dude that threw the best football. And man, I I always envied the dude with the best weed. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. Uh, man yeah, it definitely, and I definitely had some, gets that uh, that popularity going yeah, in its own way, it. you know. And and it was it was kind of fun being raised in 
that way, I guess, in being open up because I've, I've always been able to connect with a lot of people because I was raised a little bit more conservatively and like played with, you know, hung out the jock kids and, and like was raised that way to start. But I always kind of accepted everybody else. And I started smoking weed. And then that really started opening me up to more like counterculture type mm-hmm. individuals and people mm-hmm. who thought a little differently than everybody else. And I started realizing like, wow, these are the people who I can like actually connect with and like talk to for a long time and it's not just like some shallow conversation it's like we're talking about like real real shit like that really changes the way that we live you know and so um i started i started just connecting with a lot of people through cannabis and i started selling it a little bit and next thing you know of course i'm like down here making some extra money and then doing some trimming on some friends farms who I was, you know, initially getting the weed from selling their weed. And then it's like, Oh, how about you come out and help us trim? And then I'm doing that. And then, uh, and then I actually moved away for a little bit. You know, I thought I was going to make beer. I thought that's what I wanted to do at the time. Cause I've also been a huge, uh, uh, a connoisseur of beer and mm-hmm. I've always liked really high end beers and good place and trying, here. Yeah. I mean, also a great place. That's one of the organs is just, yeah. we're just ready to get you fucked up. Man. You want some good wine? You want some good weed? You want some good beer, good mushrooms? Like we got <laughs> we it got here, it. you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, it was, it was kind of funny. I went up to Oregon state university and, uh, I studied fermentation science up there for a few years and I did an internship down here at a Standing Stone Brewing Company in Ashland for a summer. And just kind of being up there, I just kind of I, I just realized it wasn't actually what I wanted to do. I liked the craft beer culture. I liked the idea of making really cool, unique beers. But at the end of the day, I was like, you know, I'm, I feel like a glorified janitor doing this. I'm just cleaning shit. I got to be here from nine to five and working around all this big equipment. And it just, it just wasn't it for me. You know, we talked on the the psychedelic thing at that point in my life. That was a point where I was definitely a little bit more heavily consuming some psychedelics. And that really made me want to break the mold of the standard citizen. Like, I just didn't want to be that normal nine to five tax paying person who goes home and makes dinner and watches TV and goes to sleep and just does all the same shit, you know? And, uh, I just kind of saw myself going that way by getting into a a more standard job like that, like making beer, you know? So I just had this whole trip and was just like, you know what? This is not what I want to do. I'm tired of spending all this money on school right now, knowing it's not even what I actually want to do. And I just kind of came back down here, not, not honestly knowing exactly what I wanted to do at first, but of course, cannabis as always reeled me back in. It's always been a home for me. I've always resonated with the people. And I got offered a job working at a a hydro shop out here in Medford, you know, and I worked with my buddy and I was growing some backyard weed. I finally started growing some of my own weed and um, just kind of working through that. I just I just realized I really liked all the people who I met. I was like, I kept feeling like I was making friends with all the customers and people at the store. And I was just, I was just really resonating with that community. And I was really thriving and learning about soil biology and how to be a really good organic grower, you know? And, um, I ju- it just kind of started pulling me in. And then next thing I knew, I was like, you know, all these guys around me are out here doing these, these like medical grows, making this money. And I'm just sitting here selling them this stuff and like teaching them how to do it while they're making all this extra money more than me. Cause I'm just, you know, uh, we're going to start charging from that consulting man. Yeah, exactly. So then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Like, why don't I just, 
why don't, why am I even back here? Like I need to just start growing weed, you know, like on a bigger scale. And, um, so I decided to do that and I went through the school of hard knocks the first couple of years, to be honest, man, I did the medical thing. Uh, I worked with a few, you know, like, uh, four years basically just doing medical grows. And that was like right at the time when we'd switch in Oregon from being able to have 96 plants down to 48. And, um, so I was, I was out here working some medical gardens and did the things with people. And, you know, I started seeing like how much I liked the culture, but how difficult it was to work with other people in the medical scene too, because people get big egos and they've got different ideas of how things go. And it's, it's really easy to like not get along with other people. So, um, I had a few rough years for sure coming into it, um, where I, I, you know, different things devastated the crop or the vibe, you know, maybe, maybe it was the the people involved in the company or like the, like, I don't even know if you really call it a company, which is like a little medical grow, but you know, the scene, or if it was like external environments, like getting hit with seeds from a neighbor one year, like I actually grew one of the first years this is the second year I tried to do a kind of larger scale medical operation with a friend. And, um, you know, the product turned out really dank, but it sucked because a bunch of it got seeded out. Yeah. And, uh, it just, it just kind of screwed everything. And I definitely had some tough years trying to come up cause I was, it was right when the mar the market was crashing too. And prices were at like an all time low. And I just remember another one of the years I was growing, it was like the average price of a pound was like four or 500 bucks. And it was just like, shit, man, it doesn't even matter how well you do. It's hard to make money when the price well, is that screwed. Yeah. You know? It can be for some farms right now too. Yeah. Oh, and it can still definitely be rough. So, um, yeah, that was, you know, I, I, I had my hard lessons and That's thing, I, yeah. I, I spent tens of thousands of dollars after I got out of school spending tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> to get learned, you know, be educated on how to brew beer, which ironically, I barely even learned how to do while I was in school. It's a whole different <laughs> subject. But, uh, you know, I came out and then it was kind of the same thing, but in a different way. It was more that school of hard knocks where it was like those first few years of like working my ass off, man. I was working. 60 80 hour weeks doing these medical farms you know i'd be there from sunrise to sunset and going home and worrying about shit when i was going to sleep and just like working hard hours out in the mud with like small crew and and you know trying to figure the thing out and so i definitely i had to stick through some tough years uh luckily i really i genuinely love cannabis um i love the way it makes me feel i love the way it tastes i love the way it smells i love the people who love it you know um so it all it all resonates with me and i stuck through it i was like i'm not leaving this and that's kind of what got me to indigo because i was having one of those hard years where the price was just shot and i was sitting there trying to figure out how I was going to pay for stuff. And I was, I was just broke. And I got, I got so desperate. I hadn't even actually trimmed in a while, like even my own weed, but I, I was, <laughs> oh, I had shit. this opportunity <laughs> pop up to trim over at Indigo because they were paying 200 bucks a pound, you know? And I was like, at first I was kind of like, ah, shit, this is kind of hard. Do I really want to go get into a rec scene just to trim? Like, you know, but I did it. I was desperate at the time. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad I was that desperate and that hungry at the time because uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for that. And so I started working at this place and uh, just trimming, but the weed was really dank and it got me intrigued. And I was like, what's going on out of here? Um, and the scale is kind of interesting. And I liked that it was like still a small crew, but I got a paycheck every week, which when you've been uh, trapping out for the last few years, 
struggling to, you know, hustle a quick pack or whatever to pay your bills or like, you know, try and sell that weed when the market's flooded and pounds are selling for 500 bucks, but you're trying to pay your power bill, pay your rent and stay on top of your life, man. That, that steady paycheck's nice. You're like, oh, okay, this is a relief. I know every week I come back, I'm going to have some money. So I started working at Indigo just trimming. And at the it was funny at the time, too. I thought that's all, that's all it was ever going to be. I was just there to make my quick buck, get out, continue doing my medical thing the next year. But that was right when the prices were were hitting low, and and uh, there was a, there's there still is a lot of regulation being added to medical grows. Yeah, and it well, was I mean, just like there's so many out. hoops to jump through and fees to pay, and like they started you know tracking everything with metric, and um, I was just like you know I'm I'm kind of like this steady thing. I kind of like what these guys got going and stuck it out and uh, ended up ended up having a permanent position at the farm and saying, you know what, I'm going to set my little medical grow behind. I'm just going to do a small, small backyard garden and, and keep working here. Um, because I'd spent so much money and lost so much money. It was kind of that point where it was just like, okay, you know, if I'm not spending it, I at least can't lose it in the first place. (laughs) Shit, you know, and, uh, started working with the company and it's been really cool. It's been cool to be able to help grow the company, from the beginning, because when I started there, there was a huge shift in the people who were working there. It was being kind of poorly managed at first. And then uh, I came on just kind of helping trim right around the same time as Peyton came in. And we had a kind of whole crew shift, honestly. And a lot of the old people who were there were out. And then uh, we kind of got our crew in and started running it and running it from a kind of ground up, really rootsy vibe. And I think that that really helped build us to to where we are now. And, um, I think it's been, I think it's been really cool to be a part of the team. Like since it's almost, it was almost like a fresh start. So it was like almost from the beginning and getting to watch this company grow and getting to input so many ideas, because while I had some tough times and didn't make money all those years, I did learn a lot. And there was a lot of, I have a lot of valuable information that can be added to help guide towards taking the right steps to not have, you know, such losses. And it's not like I'm, that's part of the beauty of it. It's not like I'm just like some one man team. It's like, we're all a big part of this team. We all help each other grow. We all push each other to learn more and we all share our information with each other. Nothing, nobody is better than anybody and has their information, you know, at a higher regard than anybody else in our company. We all share it openly. And that's part of this whole meritocracy idea is we openly share the ideas. And then as a group, we come to a cumulative decision of what is actually going to be ultimately the best for our company, the best for the environment, the best for the consumer, Um, because those are all things that we really want to keep in mind. Um, And that's part of what's kept me here. Uh, We're really focused on craft culture. We're really focused on putting out a really high quality product and we're really focused on putting out a wholesome product because that's another big part of my life. I'm, I'm huge on sustainability. I try and grow my own food. I try and buy as much food as I can from like the farmer's market and the co-ops and staying local. And like those kind of values are really important to me. And that's one thing I've resonated with with Indigo from the very beginning is that uh, we're a company that really focuses on that sustainability factor like truly though not just to say it to sell the product but like because we really care and we want to make the land that we're using a better place um and that was you know as a kind of an outro to it i'll say that's one of the things that i left college thinking and that it's been one of my uh 
my core fundamentals for life is I really want to leave the earth or at least the parts of it that I touch better than they better the, than they were when I first got there. And I think that's really hard to do with the way that we currently live in our society to to actually be giving back to the earth as much as we take from it. Um, you know, as humans, we're just kind of we're really greedy. And a lot of people don't don't even consider what they're taking from the earth every time they lay down a piece of concrete or, sure. you know, do, you know, grow something with uh, synthetic nutrients or, you know, whatever it may be. Not saying that there's there's not a time and a place and a way to do these kinds of things correctly. But to me, that that that's a really big focus. And that's what I left school thinking is like, I really want to just make a positive impact on the environment, no matter what it is that I end up getting into. I know I want to make the world a better place. That's well said. Peyton, Tyler represent Indigo Gardens. You guys rock. Uh, one of the best interviews I've done. We really appreciate you. You guys uh, are representing the Oregon cannabis culture to the fullest, and we really appreciate it. Um, how can people get a hold of your product? So, I mean, I think Tyler can touch on um, our flower the best because he's kind of the director of our sales force right now. Definitely a heavily presence in Southern Oregon. And then um, it's not necessarily our product that we're distributing, but you can check, you know, where Willamette Valley Alchemy. Okay. Um, so we'll see on the shelf through Echo and Bo Willamette are being distributed. <clears throat> we're in uh, cumulatively, cumulatively we're in, you know, our brand is on a live product, a, you know, a top shelf concentrate in over 400 dispensaries in the state. So, um, we'll find you. Yeah. We'll find the, the concentrates, the flowers still, you know, we're still trying to get, um, you know, Tyler can touch on that, but mostly down in Southern Oregon right now. Well, and we need to wrap this up quick. Um, I know that we see your product through talent health club. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you can always stop through there. Um, you probably got a bunch of other stores, but, uh, also to at, Indigo Gardens is that on IG? Yeah, In there's an underscore between Indigo and no, Gardens. Dot. Or, 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 dot, dot. That's yeah, right. So that's right. Indigo dot Gardens. Okay, and then do you have a website? Yep, just indigogardens.co. There you go. Not mm -hmm. dot com. That's easy to get confused. Yeah. People dot are always CO. like trying yep. to. Eat. Same with our email addresses. People always try and send it to whatever at indigogardens.com. It's just dot co, like for company, like short, just dot co. Yeah, and so. people are welcome to like. We love DMs you know, through the Instagram page, answering questions, interacting with people that want to know more and, um, you know, consumer or not consumer, you know, hit us up. Let's talk. All right. Definitely do that. If you guys got questions, please let them know. If you got questions, let me know and I can direct you where we can find this stuff. But thanks. Thanks for having us, man. I yeah, just want yeah. to say it's, it's been a grateful. pleasure to be here on your show. Uh, Thank I think you. you're curating a really excellent environment and space. I and uh, I really respect what you've got going and hope that, hope that things come out well for you in the future, man. I'm Higher Peaks, and you've just listened to The Dirt Show. If you like this episode, please like, share, comment, and go to organrooted.com where you can subscribe to us on your favorite platform like iTunes, Pandora, or Spotify. Also check us out on our YouTube for videos and IG, Facebook, and Twitter for all our updates. Thank you for listening.